0: Welcome
1: to episode 73 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede.
2: I'm Brittany Lombas.
1: And I am James Cohn. <laughs> and all three of us are gathered in my living room in 7th Ward, New Orleans. Uh, we are here to talk about our favorite movies of the year. This is a New Orleans-based movie podcast, and we've been cramming for the last month trying to like get our list together for today. It hurts. <laughs> yeah, it, it was hard. Is there anything y'all wish you had seen? Like, what's the number one movie you wish you had seen before we, like, finally put a stamp on it today? For me, it would be The Favorite. I really wanted to see that.
3: I'm a huge fan of that director. Yeah. But uh, I just didn't get a chance to the holidays, it was too
1: busy. It's my favorite Yorgos Lanthimos movie. So I I want to know what your take is on a it.
3: lot because I really really like him as a director. I feel like you have a middling yeah, not really response to his films. So this is him like I'd meeting me it.
1: halfway. So maybe you'd like it less than me. I don't know. Yeah, Hard to tell.
3: I, I really need to see it though. I'd love
1: yeah. to talk to you about it
3: once you do see it. Yeah, I'll probably see it soon, Brittany.
2: A simple favor.
3: Oh yeah. I still
2: haven't seen it because I don't like Anna Kendrick that much but blake lively looks so cool with her suits and stuff like that and it has like a bunch of really good ratings so i feel like an idiot for like judging it because of anna kendrick and i should have watched it because i feel like i would really like it
3: what is that about i
2: don't even think I it's like a, a gone girl that. spoof yeah. uh
1: directed by paul fagg
3: it's okay. really funny and
2: i love all those types of movies like yeah. that lifetime trash Mm.
1: blake lively looks fucking amazing in mm. it and she has really funny like dark humor to her dialogue god i was a huge fan of it
2: okay um, i feel like i'm really gonna like it
1: i think you will too it's kind of like a trashy like dime store novel plot and Ugh, all the jokes on top so of it are so like nice. really funny but it takes the plot seriously at mm-hmm. the same time it's really good
2: yeah i'll rent it because it's rentable at yeah this right point. Now. yeah i'll do that
1: and I wish I had seen Border, which has been playing at Zeitgeist, but uh, I haven't been, gotten the energy to go out there. It's like this like Swedish fantasy horror about Ooh. like these uh, border customs people that find a child porn ring, and one of the suspects is this disfigured person that looks exactly like a disfigured person who works for Border Control, and then it turns out oh that they're God. the same type of creature or something, and there's supposed to be like really weird sex in it. It's supposed to be really gross and like odd. And I don't know. There's been really strong reactions, positive and negative, to Border. And I'm really curious about it. Everything
3: you just said made me think that you'll love it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally up your alley.
1: But you know, you can't see everything. I keep a running list all year of like, oh, this is what I should see this year. And I just ditched my 2018 one, which is like dozens and dozens of movies I never got to. It's like I'll see them when I see them. Uh, there was like
2: a lot of good stuff that came out this year. Though. Yeah. Like it wasn't a shitty movie year.
1: I don't believe in the concept of like a shitty movie year. Like,
2: you could always find some good stuff. Yeah.
1: I mean, the percentage yeah. is always about the same. Like most art is bad, but mm-hmm. if you watch more art, you'll find more good stuff. Does That's that make really sense? really nice. I don't know. I saw a ton of movies this year that I really loved. Yeah. I made, a, I made a top 20 list. I'm just doing my top 10 today. Uh, so I was even more self-indulgent than we're all going to be as a group. Well, well everybody ready to count down their top 10 movies of the year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's get into it. All that's coming up to you right, right now. now.
0: I'm sorry. I'm finding this a very stressful
2: working
1: environment. Aunt Lucy said. Aunt Lucy.
2: I've had enough to hear with Aunt Lucy. She sounds like a proper old bag to me. I beg your pardon? I said, your
0: Aunt Lucy sounds like one of the most naïve, gullible, mushy-brained... What's going on? Why why are you looking at me like that? It's awful hot in here. you hot? I'm hot. Did I leave the oven on? It's called a hard stare. Aunt Lucy taught me to do
1: them when people had forgotten their manners. So, James, what was your number 10
3: for the year? Number 10, and I'm sure this is going to pop up on y'all's list, too, is Eighth Grade. Recently, I came over to your house and watched it again, and uh, it was just as affecting on me as it was when I saw it in the theater. There's a lot of reasons to like this movie. It just, I don't know, it feels
1: like a really important movie for kids to see. And yet it was rated R, which is some bullshit.
3: Yeah, but, you know, being in eighth grade, is we start to go from the PG-13 to the R time mm-hmm. in your life. How old are you in eighth grade? 13, 12.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean...
3: Those are some rough years. and I Just, like, living through her and, like, reliving some of the cringe moments uh, of that time in your life. I don't know. It's just, like, I thought it was beautifully shot, too. And
1: watching it again, I thought the music was really really good oh, the score is the, amazing yeah, the score was good it's um, like this really sinister pop music production but it doesn't sound like pop music at all it's just got the same beats and tones to it yeah it, and it is dark and it's kind of like the movie
3: itself it's not i've heard you describe it as like kind of like a coming of age like horror movie because the there, anxiety are, it, yeah a lot stirs of anxiety up in the, inducing yeah. moments in there but i i really like the dad character how he's just kind of fumbling around trying to do his best It felt like a really fresh, important coming-of-age story for, like, modern kids and kind of what they have to deal with with technology and some different challenges that they have that our generation probably didn't have.
1: And yet, like, it's also just about anxiety for anyone at any age, too. Mm -hmm. Like, that is the most anxious time in your life, I think, is that, like, eighth grade period. But, like, watching her just feel, like, squirm in public and, like, just... Being observed by other people is enough for her to like start getting like really worked up. It's like, oh yeah, I feel that every day when I go outside, right? Like, <laughs> or just like that, try, that trying to fit in,
3: yeah, like you're always trying to fit in, even when you're an adult, too.
1: It's like the stakes are pretty low because it's like her last week of eighth grade is like the entire stakes of the movie. She just has to survive this last week before she goes to high school, and nothing truly terrible happens. A couple things almost happen that are bad, but mostly it's just how she feels. Right, And the movie makes that anxiety monumental enough to, like, carry the weight of a drama. That's what I
3: thought was so refreshing about it was, like, there wasn't some huge plot point or some really super embarrassing thing that happened in front of a mm-hmm. bunch of people or some big blow up. It's just, like, all these little minor incidents. And those are the stuff you kind of think back on really like uh, I, I dwell
1: on like stupid shit i said one time
3: yeah exactly like the one thing <laughs> you said to that person is, and you this is making
2: with... me like so <laughs> i haven't watched it oh you haven't seen it so this is just making me want almost throw up and it's further <laughs> yeah. down
1: on my top 20 so it's not going to come back up today oh, oh, it's okay not, okay yeah. oh this is it
0: but it jumped really <laughs> high
1: up and like rewatching it for me like i had forgotten how good it was until yeah. we were re-watching it was like oh wow this is like really well put together
3: yeah i kind of i rewatched some stuff and it yeah it shifted it just made the top 10 and something else like moved down. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I thought it was a great directorial debut from Bo Burnham and um, the lead actress. Elsie Fisher. Elsie Fisher. Yeah. Yeah. She's fantastic. She has like a good career.
1: And if you you look at her her. Instagram, her personality is not that different from the character. It's kind of embarrassing. Gucci. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She did a really good uh, podcast for a 24, where she had a conversation with Molly Ringwald about what it's like to be a child star. Mm -hmm. uh, That was like worth a listen to. Okay. if you want to hear more about it? I'll check that out. What her like actual persona is like.
3: Anyway. So what about you, Brittany? What's your number 10?
2: My number 10 is Apostle, which is a a Netflix original horror film, like a period horror film. Hmm. It takes place in like the early 20th century that came out this year. Stars Dan Stevens of Downton Abbey fame and the guest fame. Um, And he goes undercover to rescue his sister who has been kidnapped by this cult that's similar to the Wicker Man. Like they're on this remote Island and they are pretty, have some pretty pagan ideas. I liked it a lot because it's a little different than other horror movies where they basically capture a goddess and they like, keep her trapped and they feed her human blood so that she turns the tainted soil on the Island into like this, like lush soil that grows like crops and stuff like that.
1: And the way they get the blood out of people is pretty gruesome. There's some pretty really gross kills sick. in this movie.
2: Some beautiful kills. Yeah. And that's why I liked it so much. Like the first half is like pretty like slow paced. Um, and you're like, well, what's going to happen? And then this psycho kind of like overthrows, like the prophet that's leading everyone and is like I'm your leader now and he just starts fucking killing people with all kinds of stuff like there's one I guess killing mechanism where this guy's like strapped down to this board and then like a like a wine screw goes into his head
0: And then Uh, you can hear it cracking
2: through his skull and then going into his brain. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And there's this guy who's, I think they call him the Grinder. Yep. And he's got this huge helmet that's a bunch of like bloody fucking twigs. And you never see him. So you don't know if it's a human or a monster, but he like lives underground with the captured goddess and just fucking grinds people to get blood for her. Damn. (laughs) That's a Netflix original? It's a Netflix original.
1: It's the guy who did the raid movies. Oh, those are so good. Yeah, those are really fun. Raid? There are these uh martial arts films about like these towers that you have to like raid. It's like a video game on okay.
3: steroids. Yeah. Kind of. The action cool. scenes are so well shot. But anyway, knowing he directed that, I, like, I totally want to see that now.
1: This the one's a little slower. Like the raid movies are just like nonstop action. This is like a slow, creepy, like
2: it's kind of like the, like a thriller in the beginning mm-hmm. and then it's like the guy who's in charge of the cult like his daughter like kind of falls in love with the guy that's undercover so it's kind of like, ooh, are they ever going to be able to be in a relationship together? And there's all kinds of drama going on in the cult. And then all of a sudden it just gets turned up to like fucking 11 and everyone's going insane. It's yeah. amazing.
1: Netflix had a lot of good like acquisitions this year. They did. Yeah. yeah, I was
3: looking at my top 10 and I was like, damn, like half of these were like Netflix. And I went to the theater a good bit. I don't know, like Netflix is
1: killing it and it's kind of a double-edged sword too because it means that you didn't see most of those movies in the theater because of that too. that's what happened to me yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah that's my numero 10 what about yourself brandon
1: my number 10 was an amazon prime original Ooh. which means they did play it in the theaters first which was great it's called you were never really here uh it's mm-hmm. the new lynn ramsey movie stars joaquin phoenix as this guy who is a mercenary who, for most of what we see, his jobs include rescuing people from sex trade. Like, he rescues human trafficking victims. Uh, The main victim in this movie is, like, a 10-year-old girl uh, who's been traded around by, like, senators in this, like, high-priced child pornography ring. Mm -hmm. So it has the bones of, like, this Liam Neeson, like, dad-sploitation kind of movie, where, like, he's this older, gruff guy who's been through a lot, but he has special skills that will allow him to take down this ring. Uh, The difference is that Lynn Ramsey is a fucking artist and uh, turns this cheap thriller genre into this weird art piece where all the violence that you're used to seeing that make you feel better, like the Revenge Mission stuff, is obscured and made to look weird. Most of the on-screen violence is hidden from the camera. You mostly just see the aftermath. And instead of Joaquin Phoenix being this big macho guy who can like punch all of his problems away he has these like really emotional like sad pathetic breakdowns throughout the movie where like he'll kill somebody and then while the guy's bleeding out they'll hold hands and sing a song together or like he'll rescue a little girl and she has to comfort him like it's it's gonna be okay joe uh because he just is a broken shell of a man and it's just like if you ever seen a Lynn Ramsey movie, the way she edits her stories together, um, she did. We need to talk about Kevin.
2: Oh, oh, wow! Yeah. I love that movie.
1: She has a very distinct storytelling style that's not very straightforward, and uh, just makes you feel gross and like sad and dejected. And I yeah. love living in this filth.
3: She, she's one of my favorite directors. I would also mention um, that film has one of my favorite scenes from 2018. I'm sure, you remember the security cam kill scene so well done it's abstracted
1: right like you don't see the killing he's doing really because the security cam like just misses the violence and yet you you, see the aftermath yeah and it's i've never really seen
3: a scene that's been done like that really innovative stuff that and the holding hands singing with the guy were like definitely my favorite moments from that
1: one and you and i did a whole episode Mm -hmm. last year that was like All Lynn Ramsey Ramsey movies. That was a really rewarding episode, I think. Yeah, and this one, I really,
3: really enjoyed it. It's probably in my top 20 for this year, but... Anybody could tell me
1: that any one of her movies is their favorite Lynn Ramsey movie. I'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Totally. They're all great. Uh, What's your number nine, James?
3: My number nine is The Endless. This is a Netflix... It's kind of a sequel to a film called Resolution. I guess it does help if you've seen... I think well, it helps a lot. Yeah, especially towards the end when hmm. it's in the same universe. But it's these two brothers that were uh, raised in a like UFO death, death cult. <laughs> and they're trying to like transition to life out in the real world and mm-hmm. they're having some difficulties. So the one brother, especially who was really young when they were in the cult, kind of has these fond memories like, oh, it wasn't that bad. And his brother's like, no, like it was a death cult. It you was don't want to go back there. <laughs> and, uh, his younger brother convinces him, all right, we'll go for one night and they go to the cult and everything seems fine they are all get along it's like a commune they brew their own beer they seem very nice people um but weird stuff starts happening where you it's can't really be explained and rational turn and makes them wonder like oh i wonder if this cult is like telling the truth and then the second half of the movie shifts to some really weird time loop which is about, a lot
1: like resolution there's like a looping like you get y- stuck in a uh, particular thought pattern and it starts playing out oh, God. right again. so
3: like you're it's a really cool universe that they set up it's like if you get stuck in a way of thinking or like you said yeah thought pattern your world is this little bubble mm-hmm. and it can cross into other people's bubbles and you get stuck in time. And so it becomes this like beautiful metaphor for getting stuck in a repetition. There's one really amazing scene where he stumbles across a guy whose bubble is so small, like, and his loop is so small. All he can do is lunge, get out, you lunge <laughs> out the chair, and then he immediately goes back in the loop. And he it's just like a GIF almost. Yeah. And he's just stuck <laughs> over and over doing yeah. the same thing. And it's, yeah. So I love the universe they created. I thought the performances were good. And I also really respect this movie because it was done on a very low budget. And it's, the world feels huge. Like they did so much Mm -hmm. with it. And again, with that like beautiful metaphor. Yeah, this was like a really unexpected gem for me. And it does tie into resolution and answers a lot of questions. You have a resolution. It-
1: it's really funny how they do that, too, because the actors from Resolution are supposedly in the same loop they were in, like, 10 years ago or whenever that came out. Right. But the actors have aged 10 years, but they're right. still wearing the same costumes. Yeah. So when you watch them back to back, it's a little jarring, but I think it's definitely rewarding to see them as a pair.
3: But yeah, it's really cool. I would
1: definitely watch the two together. Have you seen the film between those two of Spring? No, I didn't know there That's was one. That's my before. favorite film. Is that that one that you really? like
2: really, really, really liked a yeah. few years ago? Yeah, right. it's like
1: a sci-fi romance. It's yeah. not necessarily so it's not the in same the universe. same universe. it's not in the same universe. No, it's just like Lovecraftian romance set in Europe. It's really well done. It's another one of those things where it's like really big sci-fi ideas on like a tiny budget.
3: And that way it me a lot of something like Coherent. Or Primer. Or, yeah, Primer, but less... More emotional, less like intellectualized than Primer. But... Yeah, like a coherence or even like a triangle. Like I love those kind of movies that deal with big sci-fi ideas in a really confined space. And I thought this one did it really effectively.
1: I liked it a lot too. I I, I actually might have even liked Resolution slightly more just because it was like even more bare bones. <laughs> the budget of that movie was basically like a room. A, yeah. <laughs> and like uh, there's a lot about myth-making in those movies too. So there's like slide projectors and like old records and photographs and stuff. Oh, nice. Uh, And they make these really big, heady ideas out of these like tiny objects.
3: Yeah, Um, it's really cool. I would love to see what they can do with an even bigger budget because they obviously have the strong ideas and the filmmaking ability to pull it off. So anyway, yeah, The Endless is my number nine. What about you, Brittany?
2: So yeah, I did see the endless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, this sounds so familiar. I remember like they were broke as all hell, and they go to this like call, and they're like, oh, they have food here, and I'm like, so what? Like leave. I went, like it's and just kind of clicking. Can't, they just
3: can't. Yeah, leave. it made
2: me really nervous. And there was like that one scene where they're like playing tug of war with the rope, but like nothing's on the other end. Just the. Abyss. I didn't oh, like, that is really, really. I didn't scene. like it. Yeah. I mean I like the movie But I didn't like the rope stuff Yeah yeah um, It makes you
3: It's very Lovecraftian So yeah it's That just, just like kind some, of like
2: Hit me You you yeah. forget something Oh and totally like it goes oh God I feel so weird right it now It was a
1: very long year <laughs>
2: it give you that <laughs> Um It was But you well know, anyways So um, On the weird sci-fi train That we've got going on My number nine's um, Annihilation I didn't watch it Until like recently Because I, I remember it came out In theaters I didn't know much about it Didn't really see a lot Of advertising about it I just saw, like, the cover, and I'm like, oh, it looks like a weird space movie. And I'm, like, never in the mood to see that kind of stuff. So it was um, – I forgot what I saw it on. And I was like, oh, let me just give it a shot. And it was so
1: good. It just popped up on Hulu and yeah, it's on Hulu uh, now. Amazon Prime this week. Yeah, it's on Yeah, it's
2: awesome. Yeah, like, at the end of the well, yeah, beginning of the thank new you. year. <laughs> Thanks, turds. Um, <laughs> but I really, really liked it. It was so, like – weird and really really pretty and fun I loved the whole idea of like the place where they go the shimmer and it just keeps fucking growing it's about like refracted light yeah and everything gets refracted so like your genes
1: (laughs) start mixing and distorting and
2: it's amazing like it's so scary to think of that but like the whole time I'm like well if I'm ever in this like weird shimmer prism I don't want to become like a half shark woman Like, I would want to... Like, there's a lady who probably would help to, like, give a spiel about it. But basically, it's a group of, like, badass women. One's meaner than the others. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And they're on this mission to explore this, like, area called the Shimmer. And one of them, like, really gets into it. And there's this part of it where... There are these flowers that are growing into the shape of human beings, and that's when they realize like this is like flower DNA and human DNA mixed together. And she gets really into it, and she just kind of like walks among them, and then her veins become like vines, and she just becomes a flower.
1: And that's uh, and I thought
2: that was so cool.
1: And that's Tessa Thompson, who's on three of my movies.
2: But yeah, but I really liked the flower people a lot like that kind of image like still sticks with me till this day like if i'm walking around and i see like field flowers growing i'm like shit they're coming for me
3: yeah i think um and this one's on my list me too much <laughs> higher up um <laughs> but i haven't watched it again i only saw it the one time in the theaters oh that's but, probably so cool
2: to see in theaters oh my god it's so beautiful
3: the ending is god, so gorgeous i hate this myself screen. the not just awe-inspiring yeah. endings to a movie i've awesome.
1: ever seen hmm I think I texted you the first night it came out mad that you hadn't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, because you just knew. Like, yeah. Yeah, like if you're going to do a
3: big sci-fi thing like that, like mm-hmm. I love just ending it on this bombastic, like just going all the way with it. But there's also this like beautiful message I kind of picked up, up on. Like these women are all sort of have been through trauma. Mm-hmm. And there there is some like allegory...
1: I have a theory about what it is. You do? Yeah. I I, I haven't read the book it's based on, but like the way it it plays out and there's a pivotal monologue in the film that one of the women gives that I think kind of clues you into it, but it's like grief and trauma and stuff like that transforms who you are so that when you come out of the other end of it, you're not the same person that you were before it. Mm. And the shimmer like transforms them physically in the same way that those emotions and those processes like transform you emotionally. So, like, Tessa Thompson becoming, like, the flower person, that's her, like, giving into depression or whatever she's going through. And Mm -hmm. she, like, transforms physically through whatever emotional trauma she's going through. But it also seemed to be saying, like, that's not bad. No, it just happens. It
3: just happens, and you have to move through it, kind of.
1: And I think the uh, speech I'm thinking of, the lady says that she loses a daughter— and she's like, I had to grieve twice once for the daughter I lost, and once for the person I was right. before she died. Oh, that's
2: when she's in the boat. Yeah just paddling in the boat
1: so yeah I think there's something about physical transformation and like emotional mm-hmm. processing that's like connected in this movie
3: yeah that coupled just with the beautiful images and it's really... a
1: badass like monster sci-fi horror film as yeah. well yeah no it Alligator does a lot of things really well creepy bears and shit the
2: bear with like that <laughs> fucking metal as shit skull help me that was yeah like that captured the scream of the woman it killed before uh, she died brutal. is so freaking cool But yeah, that's my number nine. So I'm not going to talk more about it because I know like y'all have it on your list and we'll get into it later. (laughs) So um, what is your number nine, Brandon? Mine was a Netflix film. It's called Cam. Oh, I love Cam.
1: It's basically custom built for me to love it. Half of it is this Brian De Palma like sex thriller and half of it is this unfriended style like user interface horror about evil internet stuff. Uh, basically, this woman is a online cam girl. So she's like an online sex worker, and she strips for tips online. And someone steals her account, and it's a doppelganger. And she can't figure out how this person is looks exactly like her and is taking her tip money mm-hmm. and breaking all of her rules. Like she has these personal boundaries she sets, and this doppelganger character is like violating each of those boundaries one by one and making more and more money because of it. And she is sort of helpless to solve it because it's, it's almost like a supernatural situation she's in. Yeah. I had no idea where the movie was going. I had a lot of fun for the mystery to unravel. But also on just like a visual level, the room that she cams in is this pink like play palace that she built. <laughs> it's like half like sex dungeon and half like child's bedroom, which is this really eerie overlap but they do a really good job with the neon lighting and the synthy score and stuff to like film this really small enclosed space and make it look like a a dynamic environment. And yeah, just a really good mindfuck, really overly horny, twisty genre trash. And I loved every minute of it.
2: It's so good.
3: Well, actually, I mean, because we'll continue to talk about it. That's my number eight. Nice. Yeah, that (laughs) was great. So that's a nice overlap there. (laughs) Yeah, kind of like you said, it's, part Brian De Palma, who's the director that did Neon Demon? and
1: oh, you know, Nicholas Winding Refn?
3: Yeah, it, it's kind of got that going on, too, you know, like you said, with the the lighting and the synthy score. Mm-hmm. So I just love seeing a movie where you could tell kind of what the filmmakers' favorite filmmakers are, and they kind of jive with you. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, this guy has the exact same aesthetic that i like in movies,
1: and he's a really young filmmaker. Uh, and he collaborated with a screenwriter named Isamaze, who was a cam girl back mm-hmm. in the day. And the two of them kind of co-directed a lot of the sexier scenes with the main star, Madeline Brewer. So this is like collaborative project between three creative minds, like on this uh, really authentic feeling version of like what online stripping is like.
2: Yeah, like you can tell that like someone who's done it had something to do with it. Um, because it doesn't really like make cam girls look shitty. No. Which is really awesome how like the way that this movie could have gone and like most films like this do go is at the end it's like I learned my lesson I won't cam girl again and that's not what happens It's just sort of like some weird like I, I didn't know if it was like supernatural or if it was like a weird computer virus. Yeah it's hard to that, tell. That like is so like intelligent that it like mimicked her and like some weirdos on the other end taking See, all the money.
3: I don't know. I I took it to be all metaphor, like basically to get these views. She starts doing things that she said she would never do. And so the doppelganger is her, but it's like she's watching herself from the outside be a person that she said she would never be. And then the horror is like realizing that
1: you've betrayed your own values. See, I think the horror is that someone's violating her boundaries and that, yeah, the money is influencing her to do that.
3: But see she starts to get those views and she wants to break to the next level so then she mm-hmm. goes to that house i forget what it's called and they do the really like
1: she rides the the well, machine the, Whatever it that happens. Is. and after that well, or, like the or whatever,
3: whatever machine. Oh, god. right but then <laughs> right after that the next morning when she wakes up is when the doppelganger right. appears. Yeah. so that's why i, I kind of thought
2: happened there. like i thought one of the girls in the house was like huh like she's passed out or whatever like Let's steal her DNA or something. And the
1: evil oh, no. girl in there yeah. is uh, the same lady who played the love witch. Her name's like Samantha Robinson, Aww. which I did not recognize her at all. Wow. Yeah, it was weird.
3: But like you said, it was refreshing that it's not like a horror movie where it's always about like punishing mm. sin. It was more, I took it as more like a psychological horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which And I did not expect that. Like I thought it was going to go run-of-the-mill mill slasher Route and it went this much more interesting Roman Polanski De Palma cool. route. It's yeah, it was really a good surprise.
1: And like the endless, like it's all pretty low budget, mm-hmm. basic means. Not it's like a Bloomhouse production. It was made super cheap. What was your number eight, Brittany?
2: The Wild Boys. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or what is it, La Garçon Sauvage? <laughs> um, so Brandon let me borrow this like a few days ago. And I, like, popped it in, I think, the day after you let me borrow it. And I fucking fell in love with this movie. It's so beautiful. So hard. It's so weird and fucking gorgeous, which is, like, what I love the most about movies. Like, I could see this being, like, a fun, like, midnight showing. Because, like, there's so many, like, iconic things that happen in the movie. God, I don't even know where to fucking start.
1: It's like a... Old Pervert's Wet Dream.
2: <laughs> yes. It
1: feels like it was written a hundred years ago while someone was super horny on mushrooms.
2: Uh-huh. With uh, like a handlebar mustache. <laughs> and he's like like twisting it while he's writing.
1: But it's like about a group of unruly rapist boys who are played by women. So it's like adult female actors playing these young boys. And they are punished Maury style. They're sent to boot camp with this <laughs> captain who's supposed to Love tame it. their wild behavior. And
2: he has a one titty. Yeah, That's he has like one, one titty and Captain. a gigantic dick. Uh- that is full of like <laughs> these map drawings
1: yeah. and stuff. And he takes them on a uh, voyage across the sea to this island that has these strange testicle-looking fruits that are covered in hair. And the more the boys eat the fruit, the more they start to transform and their behavior does change. <laughs> But boys are fucking weird. It's... Yeah, you know how weird the sounds hearing you describe the plot? It's like Guy Madden (laughs) tripping while jerking off. Uh, It's so great. There's so
2: much (laughs) semen in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, in the beginning, the rape scene was, like, they tie their teacher to a fucking horse while they're, like, they're reenacting, like, Macbeth, I think. Yeah, definitely. And they have these masks on that kind of look like Jigsaw from Saw, and it's like these homemade paper mache masks and they all like tie her up and they like do a, what's it like? Jason's just laughing at the absurdity a, of this. A, a buka- when everybody jacks off on a woman. Well, they exactly do that to it. their teacher. Yeah. So that's it's just term. like yeah. this like scene where it's just like, and it's, you know that they're women. So I thought it was so funny. Yeah, there's this <laughs>
1: layer of artificiality to it. It's still brutal though. It's so
2: brutal, but it's like, they're just like, there's a bunch of jizz on this poor woman. Yeah. And then whenever they go to like this court, kind of situation to be punished. There's like two like buffed up shirtless dudes on each end. And it almost looks like Egyptian. It's very interesting. And they have this thing that they kind of, I don't know if they worship it.
1: I think it's their God. Yeah. His,
2: his name's Trevor.
1: And he's just a floating glitter skull. So
2: one of my <laughs> one of my favorite artists in the world is Damien Hirst. Uh, and Damien Hirst has- Oh yeah, has that like a, jewel skull. The right? jeweled skull. So yeah. I was like, it's a Damien Hirst skull. And every time like Trevor- like his image appears, it's like this cool fucking synth pop starts playing, so it's, it's just awesome. And it's like black and white mixed with color when Trevor comes, because obviously it's colorful.
1: James, you have to see this movie. But, yeah, well you.
2: But the sexy island <laughs> is where it's at. It's like shaped like a fucking oyster, and the the fruit that they they like jack off these penis shaped fruits, and then it jizzes in their mouth. <laughs> And then, like, they start having sex with, like, shrubs. Plants. <laughs> and the shrubs have, like, legs. Yep. And it's so insane. And there's this, like, badass bitch on the island that's covered in jewels.
1: It's the wildest <laughs> movie of the year, for sure. Damn. It was... You know,
3: I know you... Uh, let me borrow the... You the Blu-ray, the yeah. today. It's so um, good. But I, I read a little bit about it because I knew you were pretty high on it. And um, it was just screaming out like William Burroughs definitely and it, even the title Wild Boys is the name of one yeah, of his books. that one's like a
1: post-apocalyptic them like roaming the western lands right. uh this one is more old adventurer style like those like colonialist like going to the wild nature and trying to tame it um uh-huh. style of stuff it's definitely something Burroughs would jack off to though right that just <laughs> hearing you describe it i yeah. was like oh Burroughs would this would be his movie yeah. of the year if too. if you could get it up from all the heroin yeah uh, <laughs> but no i will
3: definitely check it out and it is i will let you know so
2: fucking good yeah and i don't want to say more about it because i have a feeling like it's on your list at some fucking point so <laughs> but yeah, like there's a lot to say about Just this watching Jesus' face <laughs> during that yeah. is good. No,
3: it's totally fun well, hearing it's like how, you how it is watching
2: it because you're watching. And you're like, whoa, that's weird. And you're like, whoa, whoa, like I swear to you, like all my organs were inside my throat. And I was getting ready to puke them all up at some point. Um, it was so good, but um, yeah, C- calm down for a second. All yes. right, I'll, I'll
3: invite my mom over to watch that oh, one. Jesus. <laughs> it
2: is a great family film to bond with your parents.
3: God in mercy. Cute. You do not want to be in that I'm room. Just
2: kidding. Um, what is your number? Eight. Eight. My number eight <laughs> yeah. was
1: Upgrade. Uh,
2: oh, sweet. Sweet. It's sweet, an sweet, action
1: sweet. film. It's very much like Robocop. This guy is paralyzed in a attack on him and his wife. And he is a macho man in the near future who <laughs> does not have any patience for automated tech. It's like self driving cars and self automated, like food dispensers and stuff like that really bother him. He likes uh, macho activities like muscle cars and just doing things with his hands. He's
2: such like a MAGA boy. Oh, yeah. it's very bad. <laughs> In a yeah. weird way. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and he um, is paralyzed from this uh, murder of his wife that shouldn't, should have killed him as well. And all of a sudden, he needs tech to do everything for him, to move his arms, to move his legs, to move his body. Uh, and he uses this... Still developing technology that's on the black market called STEM to stage a revenge mission against these men that nearly killed him. And STEM talks to him exactly like HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Hmm. And it's just a really funny rapport between him and this like robot voice in his head. So it's his worst nightmare that he needs this robot, and the robot starts taking over more and more of his autonomy, to the point where he can't even control what he's doing. The robot's just killing people in these really brutal ways. He can't even stand to look at it. Like he closes his eyes and looks away while his hand is just slicing people's faces to ribbons. Uh, it's <laughs> also an ultra-violent like film. Like it's a bunch of gooey practical effects gore, mm. on top of being this like very Paul Verhoeven like horror comedy about. You know, kind of spoofing people's distrust of automated technology. I just heard a radio story the other day about um, people have been throwing rocks at these uh, self-driving cars in Phoenix. Every time they see them, <laughs> people have been, like, <laughs> shooting them with guns and throwing rocks at them. It's was like, oh, yeah, this is very upgrade. Um, oh, my God. So, yeah, if you want to see something really silly and hyper-violent... And something with kind of like a satirical edge to it in that Verhoeven style, like that like, that uh, Robocop or like Starship Troopers mm-hmm. mode of Verhoeven's. I really enjoyed this movie both times I watched it.
2: It's super funny. Yeah.
3: I Actually, I should have mentioned that one on the movies I wanted to watch in 2018. Yeah, I, I think missed. you would like it. Yeah, it sounds awesome. What was your number seven? Uh, my number seven was I Am Not a Witch. It was released... Last year internationally, but it came here in 2018 and it is about a girl in a young girl in Zambia who very early on in the movie is accused of being a witch just because basically this woman is convinced she is. And that's pretty much all that's it, how takes. it is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, ah, oh, you're a witch. And so they, they take her away <laughs> and they send her to like this witch colony and all these witches are like kept captive by ribbons and they're also a tourist attraction. So white people will come and like, ah, oh, look at the witches on the, the farm or whatever. What a nightmare. Yes. Yeah. And this um, this pastor character who runs a witch colony kind of takes her under his wing and starts bringing her on like talk shows and basically like trying to exploit her and user for his like political gain. But the, the movie sounds like it would be really sad and tragic. And it is in some ways, but it also is like really funny, which I did not expect. Like the premise sounds like so sad. Sounds so sad and yeah. brutal. <laughs> and it, it is, but there's so many funny, funny interactions with this pastor character. Cause he's a total con man. And, so there's, like, a lot of interesting tones going on. It's a little messy, which I, I kind of like for this kind of movie. In its most powerful moments, it reminds me of The Fits a little bit. Um, I know you've seen Yeah, I love that, that movie. But it's one of those movies where, like, it's it's so beautiful and you could tell it's so personal for the filmmaker. But after it's over, you're just kind of like, that was about a lot of shit. Because you have like stuff about colonialism, you have the kind of witchcraft, the mystical uh, African spiritualism stuff going on. Subjugation of women. Subjugation of women is a huge one, um, with the the ribbons and how they're exploited for like entertainment, and uh, so it's just like about a lot, but it's beautifully shot. The main actress that plays the little girl is amazing. And, yeah, it's got so much humor and so much, like, life to it. And then, ultimately, it is, like, a tragedy, as you would expect. Yeah, it's not
1: a horror film from what I'm hearing from No, you. no, it's not yeah. a horror
3: film. Yeah, it was really uh, unique and special. I think you can rent it on Amazon if you haven't seen it.
1: But yeah, it, it's really good. I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. Um, yeah, The title's should... definitely very memorable. Yeah. yeah, so
3: y'all should definitely check that out if you haven't Sounds seen it. It's
2: really cool, yeah. like sad, but I want to be sad with it.
3: I mean, I definitely like
1: cried at the end. I cried during everything.
3: Yeah,
2: I, I've been an emotional wreck. I almost here. cried during blockers. Oh. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but yeah, it's it's truly like a beautiful film, and it's her. I forget the director's name, but it's her directorial debut. debut. Oh, cool! So you could tell she just like was unloading all this stuff she had to say. It's good for her. And it, and I love that it's <laughs> just like, she was like, "Oh, I might only have this one chance to make a movie, so I'm gonna put my whole heart and soul into it." So yeah, it's really powerful stuff. It's um, awesome. Yeah. So anyway, Brittany, what's yes. your number seven?
2: Um, my number seven is Paddington too. Yes. Aww it's been in my dvd player for probably the past like four months (laughs) because i'll watch it like all the time before i go to bed because like deep within side of my soul i'm an eight-year-old that needs like (laughs) a nice movie to go to bed to it is so like just beautiful and sweet and hugh grant is in it and he's like one of my favorite. I love late actors.
1: career
3: Hugh Grant. I,
2: I
1: swear he is playing Vincent Price in Theater of Blood in this film. Vincent Price is like this aged actor who uses his old characters in his catalog mm-hmm. to get a revenge mission and like performs these different crimes as these ridiculous caricatures. And Hugh Grant is totally doing that exact shit in this movie. And it's so funny.
2: But it's like there's so. It's just such like a sweet like. Wholesome film, and there's a lot of funny like stuff in it, but it's like that old style slapstick humor. Like, um, well, the whole idea of Paddington 2 or the whole plot of it kind of is um, he wants to get Aunt Lucy a pop up book of London. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> she yeah. Wants to go, and he loves her so much. And she's at the, re- like the home for retired bears in Peru. In Peru. So he is saving up his money
1: oh my god To
2: get the papa book and then he gets framed by um a criminal um and everyone thinks he stole it and then all his neighbors that like love him start shitting on him
1: and he goes to jail and he
2: goes to prison but then Ah. he makes friends with the prisoners because he's so sweet because he shows them how to make fucking marmalade James learned
1: how to make marmalade because of this movie. I did, yeah.
3: After <laughs> I, I watched it. He his
2: oranges and sugar. Yeah. And
1: a I actually, I read
3: a whole lot about marmalade. <laughs> I,
2: was,
3: I was like, I got to see what this Paddington guy is into, man, because he's really about the marmalade.
1: And then when you showed up on New Year's Day at my house this year, uh, we were watching the last 10 minutes and I was weeping when I answered the <laughs> and door. And even though I
3: hadn't, I mean, I'd already seen it, but just sitting down immediately and just start crying <laughs> you're like wiping your tears and like
2: you just finished baking the marmalade he's just such a good here. bear <laughs> he's it's just so, so
3: sweet he's so kind and so sweet
2: but that i like laughed so hard at the um the scene where he's working at a barbershop to make extra money and he like is so like polite while he's like ruining this guy's hair accidentally uh. because he can't control like the shears <laughs> or the little shaver um it's just it's super funny and
1: then he uses marmalade to stick hair back on yes. someone's head that he actually shaved it's so gross <laughs> it's
2: so sticky it's Such a sticky movie mm-hmm. um but yeah it's very good and there's this beautiful quote and i can't remember it but it's like something about being kind. If you're
1: kind and polite, the world will be right. Oh,
2: God. My
1: Aunt Lucy used to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: it. That's it. So that is Words to Live By. This whole movie like, it just made me want to, want to be like a better person. Yeah. You know? Because <laughs> like I want to be more like Paddington. And, he, he is a role model. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because like there's all these shitty situations. And instead of just being like, fuck, I'm going to kill myself. I can't believe I did that. He just goes, oh, dear.
1: I guess I should try better next I'll time. I'll try better next time, and
2: I'm like, yes, <laughs> oh, that's what I to tell myself. Yeah,
3: I love and they- I love that they put him in prison, and even that doesn't really get it. He still like just breathes life. He turns into, into this Anderson like, around. They all wear pink.
2: Playset. Yeah. <laughs> they all have pink and. Black oh, I love! I love
3: the scene where they're like all <laughs> cooking. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's so many great scenes in that one,
1: which is funny because oh, so I didn't good. care about this movie the first one when it came out, and oh. I had no interest in watching it. Even when I did eventually come around to it, I didn't... I thought the first one was fine, but I yeah, fell like in love one. so hard at Paddington 2.
3: Yeah, I think it takes it to, like, kind of absurd levels. The first one feels very kind of grounded, and this one is exactly what, like, A good sequel. It's like the first one, but on steroids. Yeah, it's bigger. He goes to jail. (laughs) Yeah, he goes to jail.
2: (laughs) But, um, yeah, it was was very, very, very good, and I loved it. Um, What is your number seven, Brandon?
1: My number seven is another movie with a bear in it. It's called Annihilation. (laughs) (laughs) The other kind of bear. I mean, we already said a lot of what I loved about it. I mean, the ending's beautiful. I thought the metaphor about like transforming because your trauma is like really powerful Mm -hmm. james and i watched uh, Tarkovsky's stalker either last year or the year before and Mm -hmm. that movie had a lot of similarities to this one but i feel like this one improved on the formula in a lot of ways yeah i mean this one's like not a slog (laughs) and it's not (laughs) three and a
3: half hours
1: and if i was going to add anything else just like alex garland who wrote and directed this he also did ex machina a couple years ago
0: yeah Mm, i haven't seen that
1: he wrote Dread 3D which I loved. Sweet. He wrote uh, 28 Days Later.
2: Oh, I love that movie. I watched
1: this movie for the first time last year called Never Let Me Go mm-hmm. that he wrote. You would love that as well. True. He just likes writes really great emotionally like anchored sci-fi where the ideas are really big mm-hmm. and the emotions like hit you hard as well and yeah, yeah. I love him so, so much.
2: Also, like Natalie Portman is so good in this movie.
1: Oh, yeah, she's great.
2: I forgot to mention that. Like, I thought she was really, really good.
1: She's really great in Vox Lux this year, too. Which ah, I haven't seen, and I want to see it. That is the mother of 2018. There's... It's, like, so (laughs) over the top and, like, so divisive, but it's so fun. But um, her performance in Annihilation is much more grounded. Vox Lux is her just going ape shit and, like, having the time of her life chewing the scenery. Awesome. Uh, Annihilation is a much more, like, emotionally, like, contained uh, performance, I think, by comparison, anyway. She's so good. What was your 10 through 6, James?
3: Um, So, so far, mine would be uh, 8th grade, uh, The Endless, Cam, I'm Not a Witch, and then my number 6 is Paddington 2. Hell yeah. Guess
1: what my number
3: 6 is? Paddington (laughs) 2. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, so what else can you say about Paddington? Actually, okay, I was hanging out at my apartment last weekend, and my roommate's Girlfriend brought her daughter over, and she was watching uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. So I like sat down and watched it it's a good one. with them. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, this is, this is a good movie," and it definitely has this message about overconsumption that kind of like hits you over the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to think, like, that's why I like Paddington Two so much better because it's not like a message. Are the message is so pure. Like you're saying the message is just like, be kind, be like a good, gentle, nice person. Mm-hmm. And the world will be a better place. It's just so pure in that where
1: I, I think these- it's also a film about Brexit though. Like he lives mm-hmm. in this like ethnically diverse film. Oh, okay. A community where like the neighborhood starts to distrust each other. Cause he's from Peru or yeah. she's from there or they're an outsider. That's- and Once Paddington, the outsider, is gone, the community starts to fall apart. And it's like, well, he's as much a part of the community as anyone else. And it's definitely like a Brexit story. Yeah, I guess it's like the subtext or... It's definitely not beaten over your head, though. Like, it's very subtle. And it's timeless, too. Like, once the memory of Brexit fades away, it's like the movie will not have the same kindness and politeness message. Like, it'll still be the same. But it, it seems to be saying, like,
3: the way to solve... These issues of what divides us is to simply like love your neighbor, remember your manners. Yeah, remember your manners, and, be, and remember to like be polite. Yeah, I don't know. It's just such a like pure, wonderful idea. I don't know. It's one of those movies where like I feel like everyone needs to see it and just really strive to be like Paddington and just become a better person. All of us, and then we'll be, yeah, and then we'll be better as a as a you know as a species. But yeah, it's just, man, it's such a beautiful, sweet movie.
1: How could you not like this movie? I mean... I was very cynical about ever watching either of these films, and I was so wrong. <laughs> it's it's I so love good.
2: children's movies so much. It's oh, funny, yeah. like, most of my
1: <laughs> top films of the year are these, like... Over the top horror and sci-fi movies. They're all like horny and weird. And then there's Paddington. It's (laughs) just like wholesome.
3: Yeah, well, it kind of
2: evens it out. If I was a
1: better person, it would have been higher up for me. (laughs) But I'm not. (laughs) What was your 10 through 6, Brittany?
2: Um, 10 through 6. So 10 was Apostle. 9, Annihilation. 8, The Wild Boys. 7, Paddington 2. And 6 is Mom and Dad. I love it so much because... I'm not the biggest fan of children. <laughs> so I thought it was so funny. So I think this was this one came out like January of 2018, but I think it was released elsewhere other than the U.S. In like 2017.
1: It was like a festival movie last year. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So um, I had to rewatch this one because I kind of like forgot about it. It kind of like just like slipped through the cracks of my watch list. Um, but I watched it recently again and I'm like, yeah, this is a fucking great movie. So basically, there's something that occurs where I think it comes through like radio waves or like the television static. It's and never it,
1: fully explained.
2: It's kind of like, um, I don't know, bird boxy, I guess, <laughs> um, where you don't know what it is, but it's just causing people to go insane. And it's causing parents to that whatever it is inside parents that wants them to protect that helps them protect their kids. It like goes full on like reverse and they just want to fucking kill their kids. <laughs> and Nicholas Cage and Selma Blair are parents in this movie that try to kill their kids in the coolest way possible. Like they just slowly like become like animalistic. They're kind of like using their relationship.
1: Like, well,
2: oh, listen to your mother. Come over here. Yeah. Uh, give the,
3: daddy a hug.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the kids nun. are terrified. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like the, It took me a second to catch on to what was happening, but there's that scene where it happens, like whatever it is happens, and the kids are at school, and then there's all their parents, like a mob of fucking angry parents on the other side of this fence, and they're like, "Give us our kids!" Or and the teachers are like, "Fuck, don't go to your parents!" And this kid's like, "Screw you guys!" And (laughs) dude, he (laughs) dies. There is that
3: scene where the dads are looking at the newborn like
1: salivating dogs waiting to get on the other side of the glass to kill their newborns, Dude, that scene, like I still think about that. That's so effective. And yet the movie does kind of pull punches there. It doesn't show a lot of like kids dying on screen. It's a lot of implied violence. Yeah. But whatever. I mean, it's still like an over the top, ridiculous horror film. What
2: happens to the parents that like, you know, there are people out here who really do like kill their kids and want to kill their kids. Like what about them? Were they just really nurturing? they just do it extra <laughs> <laughs> or more more murderous? Or maybe it's the opposite. Like they like, <laughs> like,
0: actually, like, oh, actually love they their like, children love and.
1: Them. Well, I think the kind of like se- the central point of the movie, mm-hmm. and maybe this is why it's hard to notice the change when it happens, is like they already kind of fucking hate their kids at the beginning of the and film. themselves. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, they're just in a bad they're relationship. Good. They're going through
1: like a midlife crisis.
3: Yes. Yeah, and
2: they live in this like ridiculous, like cookie cutter suburban neighborhood which where, like, most of the film takes place. So it's pretty funny to see that happen in a place like that.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of, like, suburban resentment about, like, having, like, the right job and the right house and, like, still hating your life. It's,
2: like, the big hokey-pokey scene with the pool table.
1: (laughs) Nick Cage destroys a pool table (laughs) while singing the entirety of the hokey-pokey.
2: The whole thing. With a sledgehammer. The whole thing. (laughs) This is full-on,
3: like, Nick Cage just chewing up scenery. It
2: is so high energy. Mm -hmm. Like, it is so... I don't know, like you I yeah, feel like you manic sweat film, when you sure. watch
1: it. I think the director did the crank movies, which were supposed to be notoriously like high those. energy. I, I like the either.
3: first Ooh. crank a
1: lot. Yeah. It's fun.
2: Well yeah, so it, it was just it was super fun. It was funny. It's like it's meant to be, like, a dark comedy. I don't think it's meant to be, like, a full-on horror.
1: No. I think I think this is the movie people wanted who were disappointed in Mandy, where they're like, this wasn't a fun, over-the-top Nick Cage movie. Yeah. Like, I think they wanted Mom and Dad, which is just full-on zany, yeah, cartoon Cage all cagey. those people. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of
3: with you. I think much. if this one would have really went extra gory and, like, actually shown a bunch of kids getting slaughtered. Like, if slaughtered. the dads went into there. Oh, sort yeah. Sort of, like... Just really no-holds-barred, <laughs> yeah. then it might have, like been up
1: in that like upper echelon
2: yeah but um what about you what's your 10 to 6
1: my bottom five were you were never really here cam upgrade annihilation and paddington 2 which we've already (laughs) said a lot about paddington 2 I, Mm -hmm. i don't really have anything else to say Maybe I could cite that gag where uh, Paddington goes through the gears in the prison while he's trying to escape. Mm. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's a lot like Charlie Chaplin in modern times. That's very funny. Uh, and then he yeah. comes out and he has a little soot mustache like Charlie Chaplin. Uh, he wipes it off. It's so cute.
2: It's such a smart
1: movie. Um, uh,
2: yeah. I kind of want a marmalade sandwich.
1: <laughs> it's
3: one of those movies, <laughs> too, good. like if they made a third Paddington like you have to see it they could just yeah they could just keep making them and you if see it's all the padding if it's this quality like give me another
1: paddington movie
3: there up, was a dude. lot of
2: books i have the treasury Ooh. <laughs> i was a fan
1: well maybe we should take a break for some marmalade sandwiches mm-hmm. and uh come back and do our top fives
2: sounds good. great right, get the orange peeler <laughs> <laughs>
1: You doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing good. How you doing? Fantastic. Fantastic. I hope you have a good day.
2: Hope you have a better week. Mm, I hope your month is full of successful days and a lot of great ventures. I hope you just come up, brother. I hope your whole fucking year is spectacular. Oh, you hope my year is spectacular? Yeah. You got something you want to say to me? You got something you want to say?
1: You smell great. You smell great. What is that? Burberry, what you got on? Mm, I forgot. Smells expensive. It's just deodorant. Okay. Yeah. Good. We smelling good. some smelling smelling good, brothers yeah, out here. You
2: you are awesome, oh, man, and I appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. Help
1: you find yourself. Yeah. Soon. We should go out, get drinks. want to get drinks?
2: Yeah. Mm, how yeah. many drinks? Two, three. Three. Four. Five. Five, five six, seven, eight, nine. Ten? All of them. On me? It's on me. No, it's on me it's now. On you. Yeah, it's oh, on you me now. It's on, you. Yeah, it's yeah, on Yeah, it's on me. You got it. Yeah, it's on me. It's on you though.
1: All right, we're about right. to get into our top five films of the year. James, what was your number five? Ooh, I get to start it off. Um, my number five
3: was Black Klansman. Hell yeah. I am a huge Spike Lee fan, and this felt like his best movie in a really long, probably since Bamboozled. That was my like last good one from him, yeah. I Well, and I really like Chirac, too. I don't know if you've seen that. I to to see it. Uh, this felt like a return to form mm-hmm. for him, and it also feels like one of the most 2018 uh, important movies Movies that came out in this year.
1: There's a lot of direct Donald Trump swipes in the dialogue for sure
3: Yeah, and it it doesn't really pull any punches It's pretty black or white just kind of saying like this shit is still fucked up and we haven't Like figured a lot of our race issues out. Yeah, and racism is still very prevalent
1: yeah, because the setup of the movie is there's like this minor victory against the clan so, like, the conflict you've been watching the whole movie where the Klan and the police department are going back and forth, the good cops, quote-unquote, in the police department get one over on the Klan, and you're supposed to feel good about that, and then the movie pulls back really wide in scale, and is like, no, you're not supposed to feel good about how the past shook out, there's still, like, all these systemic problems that allow this stuff from within the police system to go on and get worse, and we're in a really shitty position now where Nazis and Klansmen are like just out in the open and fine being around right. and being themselves.
3: And the movie makes a point that they've kind of toned down some of the rhetoric, but it's still the same message. Like they might wear a suit and tie and they don't call themselves the KKK, mm-hmm. but they're still white supremacists and they're still racist and they're marching in the streets and they're killing people. But all this sounds like it super heavy, like it's hitting you over the head with it, It is that a little bit, especially at the end, but it's actually a really fun... It's a comedy. It's a comedy. It's a fun ride. Uh, Adam Driver and... Oh, what's the main actor's name? It's Denzel Washington's son. Son, yeah. they're, They're both great in the leads. And yeah, it's just they go undercover in the KKK trying to find out, like, what's this organization up to? Like, are they planning a terrorist... Attack, and so they're having to mingle with these clans people, and Spike Lee paints them in the most absurd, just makes them look to be complete idiots, which they are. He doesn't try right. to
1: humanize them. He makes them as gross and as stupid as they are. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's not trying to be. It's like, not like,
2: oh, but he he has a family kind of thing. No, they're just all awful. I hate that kind of movies and, that do that kind of shit. Yeah, it's not humanizing. Like, it's well, it's I don't more care. like I don't they, care if he has children or no children. They almost don't
1: hear how ugly it is when it comes out of their mouths. Like they yeah. just say this vile shit and it turns your stomach. But they're saying it with a smile, and it's like this kind of like wholesome Especially, Americana. Like,
3: yeah, Topher Grace is the David Duke character because he's the one that is weird he sort of learns like oh, uh, we we need to like tone it down a little we need to get into politics if we're gonna make any real progress with this white supremacist movement mm-hmm. so he has this really polite exterior but lurking underneath it's still the same vile disgusting views as all the other kkk people
2: i really do. i haven't seen it i really 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 want it's my number
1: it. 11 it just missed my top 10. oh
3: really i loved uh... it though I just love Spike Lee as a director. He's such a bold, provocative filmmaker. And sometimes he can get in his own way. His movies can be too all over the place. And he has a hard time kind of staying on point.
1: He's kind of defiantly messy. Because, like, he knows how to make a well-contained, like, straightforward movie. And he has.
3: Some of his like, 25th Hour. There's others that are pretty... Why, why would
1: you do that? Like he just like goes for it in every direction. And it's, it's like a defiantly messy throwing punches wildly kind of vibe.
3: Exactly. To go back to what I was saying in the very beginning, like that's why it feels so of the moment and current is like, we're living in really messy times and we're living in really divisive times and shit is pretty black and white. It's an
1: unsubtle racism that we're, like, bucking against right now. And this is an unsubtle movie. Yeah, we need an
3: unsubtle, messy movie for these unsubtle, messy times. Anyway, yeah, I I love this movie, and I love Spike Lee and this uh, best thing he's done in years. I just will highlight one specific shot or series of shots in the movie Mm -hmm. that really blew me away. The main character goes undercover at a Black Panther rally. Because initially, the cops are concerned, like, oh, these... Black Panthers are like telling people there's going to be a race war and you need to investigate this, see if this is like a terrorist organization. And the main character is kind of struggling with his own identity of being a cop and kind of having to not be as like revolutionary as maybe he wants to be, he has to tone it down. And he's hearing this powerful speaker and it's kind of like a call of arms or like a you know brotherhood. And anyway, as... He's giving this speech. Lee has these amazing, beautiful shots of just black faces. Watching the speech. Watching the speech, but there's a completely black backdrop. It's like a void. Yeah, it's like a void and it's separate. Like They're obviously listening to the speech, but it's not in that specific time and place. They're just in some weird black void. And the way he shoots their heads kind of floating with the lighting is just... One of the most beautiful looking shots. Yeah, they're like professional portraits almost. Yeah, um, just really beautiful stuff. Yeah. And that with like the message of the Black Panther rally about owning your blackness, mm-hmm. I felt was like a really powerful moment. Sounds amazing. It it it's is really good. good.
2: Oh, I'm so like I'm really did want to see that and I just like never fucking got to it. I saw
3: it like four days ago. Oh wow. I, I found it at the library oh. and um
2: Oh, it's on D V D?
1: Yeah. I wow. saw it in the theater and left
2: stumbling,
1: like I couldn't get my brain together after the, <laughs> the ending, like really punches the, you.
3: The epilogue is like a gut punch, yeah, because you're expecting like, oh, the, that movie wrapped up pretty nicely. Like he told off doesn't David. Doesn't want you Duke to feel
1: good about how things shook out. He's like, no, that's yeah.
3: not what this is about. And man, it's, it really it's pulls a really funny out.
1: comedy that'll leave you sick to your stomach. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
2: I can't wait. Yeah, um, but my number five. It's Elizabeth Harvest. It's a an IFC movie, and it's, like, a sci-fi horror that is, um, like, a modern version of Bluebeard. Um, so in Bluebeard, this guy has, like, multiple wives, and when he's on his, like, current wife, he tells her, like, you can do whatever you want in this castle. Just, like, don't go in this room. And she goes in the room, and she sees all his dead wives, and then she becomes a dead wife, and it just keeps repeating. It's kind of like that. Um, So a scientist brings home this like, and he's like an old, older kind of not so hot guy. Um, And his bride is this like gorgeous, like young woman who's played by a fucking model. Her name's Abby Lee um kershaw uh, she was
1: in uh she was in the, the neon, neon demon. demon
2: yeah so she was like she and she's an australian model in real life so this girl was like gorgeous so he brings her home and it's like there's not a lot of dialogue and it's this beautiful like super clean very modern futuristic house out in the woods and it's just it's just everything is so pretty and it's so vibrant and there's two house keepers I guess they I don't know what the hell they're supposed to do I don't know what it's like to have housekeepers I don't know if there's just people who tend to the house and <laughs> clean it I don't know what they do but there's a bl- like a young blind guy And then there's um, just this woman who, you know, she just looks like she's nervous the entire time. She's like in this house. So there's already like a very weird vibe. And it's kind of the same thing where he tells her like, you know, like she can do whatever she wants in this gorgeous home and she can have anything she wants. She just can't go into this one area of the house. So she's curious, like everybody. She goes into that area of the house. And I don't think it's necessarily a spoiler as to what's found so i'll say it mm. but <laughs> well yeah if it's a
1: bluebeard retailer. yeah yeah
2: except it's um it's clones of her right. <laughs> it's a room with like a shit ton of clones of her Whoa, in these cool. pods so she like looks and she's like holy shit And then she like closes the door kind of cleans up and is like i wasn't here and then he comes home and he knows she was there so he kills her and then he wakes up another clone and then the whole thing happens again so it's a cycle of like new clone she finds out there's more clones freaks out he kills her wakes up another clone like it just keeps happening um until like the cycle kind of gets broken when one of the clones becomes like really smart and like figures out what's going on and how to like kind of defeat them yeah
1: i remember when you <laughs> reviewed it i uh, i looked at a lot of screen grabs for it and it looked really beautiful like it's the so and pretty the set design looked really pretty
3: yeah i just never got around to it it's very
2: vogue <laughs> like yeah.
3: it's- That that sounds cool like we were talking about earlier i love the stuff with like space and or mm-hmm. space time Just like time Repeating itself And cycles repeating And this sounds like In that same wheelhouse Yeah So yeah. it like IFC the movie or?
2: <laughs> Yeah IFC
3: Okay So is it like A psychological Horror Sci-fi kind of? Sci fi. It's
2: sci-fi But there's like Some other like Reveals that you find Like you find out Exactly what the Who the housekeepers are What uh-huh. their deal is And there's It gets like a little crazier Cause like, like I think their secret Is sort of the big reveal Of the mm. movie Okay um, which is kind of cool.
1: I'm definitely intrigued.
2: I just yeah. never got It's to really it. good. The way there are certain scenes where like he's like trying to kill one of the clones and there's like a split screen where it almost feels like the Brady Bunch cuz it's mm-hmm. like not there's no horror music playing. It's just kind of like him in one part of the house looking for her and her hiding De Palma and, De Palma and to it's like that. that yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that it's really it's just really really cool and I, yeah i kind of watched it because the cover was just so pretty so i'm like let me watch this and i was like oh this is really good and i, I bought it because i think at the time it was cheaper to buy it than rent it or some or it was like a few bucks more or something like that and i watched it again recently and i'm like this was a really 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 good movie and i'm not a big sci-fi person hmm. um i mean i don't seek it if that makes sense like i enjoy it when i watch it but i'm not gonna go out and be like i'm gonna go see a sci-fi movie in the theater. I either want to see like a dumb rom com or a horror movie. I feel like a lot of people say that about sci fi,
1: but when it's, it's a done pretty broad well, genre too. Like yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of things that you wouldn't think are sci fi at first are. are. yeah. Like I
2: love this fucking movie, and I'm just like, why do I like stray away from that? Like I should.
1: I would. I would say probably ninety percent of my favorite movies are sci fi and horror, mm-hmm. uh, either or or both. Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. Those are my two favorite genres. This
2: sparked the sci-fi I love inside of me, I'm like, it. I need to. Cool, it's, yeah, y'all I'll check that really out. like it. It's it's really cool. Elizabeth Harvest. Elizabeth Harvest because it's a harvesting of Elizabeths. That's her <laughs> name, by the way. The, the clone woman, the model. Must be Elizabeth season. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those Elizabeths are growing <laughs> really well this year. So yeah, and there's also reasons of why like she's cloned. Like there's like more meaning behind everything. Yeah, um, it's an
3: intriguing mystery. It's I cool. wanna, I wanna find the answers.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of people did not like this movie. There was a lot mm. of shitty reviews, or it's like, oh, it's like too slow paced. And I didn't find it to be slow paced. I like
1: Abby Lee as like a screen presence. So yeah, that, that yeah, intrigues yeah me too. that's why. I mean,
2: that's
3: like Neon Demon. Yeah. It's just so pretty to look at. Yeah, and she's so beautiful. And she has
2: like this gorgeous like long red hair and these fucking piercing blue eyes. Oh, yeah. Like it's it's awesome. Um, but yeah, that's my number five. What is your number five, Brandon? Another sci-fi movie. Ooh. And kind of like James
1: was saying about I Am Not a Witch, it's a lot of a first-time director not sure if they'll ever make a movie again. So they throw everything they've got at the screen. Mm-hmm. It's called Sorry to Bother You. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good one. One of the most like hyped movies of the year. And re-watching it lives up to the hype. And to my memory of it as well as the first time I saw it. Boots Riley's been writing this movie, I think, for like 10 years or something like that. And you can feel it. Like the screen is just packed with so many ideas about like race and labor and wealth and like the futility of bucking against a system where. If the system is exposed as being a problem, people are more willing to get used to the problem than, like, fighting to solve it. Like, trying to get people to organize to overthrow the system is, like, a futile act. It starts off as a film about a telemarketer. So this is someone who works in a call center, James, Brittany, and I were all call center employees when we first met. <laughs> I was sucked. definitely
3: thinking about the Deloitte days when I was <laughs> like, watching when you had that. to be
2: so fake on the phone and be like, uh, "Yeah, thank you for calling the BCIP Billion Operations Call Center." My name is Brittany,
1: <laughs> and we were all laid off at the same time, which is why we started this blog. Um, right, and then the way it starts from that very like familiar corporate gig and then explodes into this like wild so story i probably one of the greater twists of the year which mm. can't really spoil that here but just saying that it's haunting the movie has really big <laughs> weird ideas and i'm so proud of american audiences for mostly embracing it mm. like you would think that kind of a twist would have people like livid at this movie for going too far over the top or too gross And most people seem pretty okay with it, Mm -hmm. which surprises me. Like, I'm glad people have been adventurous. And if you want to talk about Black Klansman being like a movie for our times, uh, this movie's willingness to throw punches at Amazon for its, like, slave labor practices. (laughs) And, uh, you know, just distortion and, like, perversion of labor. uh, This movie is really not pulling any punches there.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I really,
3: I really respected its anti-capitalist, like, that seemed like the one of the big themes and as someone that's sort of critical capitalism, like I really like where the movie was coming from politically, Mm -hmm. but then like you said, that twist, man, that is some weird shit. (laughs) And I've, I loved it. And it's so out of left field and so great.
1: It's Uh, weird. How it kind of feels like a mainstream movie, even though it's not like
2: it did like, it was in theaters for it a very really long time, well. and it did really well.
1: Like I said, I'm proud of people for yeah. not only going along with the twist, but mostly keeping it under wraps. Like I think most people have been able to walk into it unspoiled, which is kind yeah. of amazing. I
2: watched it. I didn't see it in theaters, and I waited till it was on Hulu, and I was like, "Let me watch it." And I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like, yeah. people like loved it. It was like like it was just surprising because people don't really get into movies like that.
3: And I was happy to see um, the main character, Lakeith Stanfield, um, right from a. Atlanta. I don't know if you watch Atlanta. Atlanta's amazing, and he's really great on that show. And it's nice to see him. I was sort of skeptical, like, "Oh, can he carry a whole movie by himself? And he, he does a really good job. And uh, Tessa Thompson, and
1: Tessa who was Thompson, also in Annihilation, too. was in this one as well. And she's always great.
3: They they have a really cute dynamic together. But, yeah, the, I think it's the most, I guess, creative or inventive movie. Or uh, I don't know the quite the word for it definitely it feels like cutting edge and something like new and vibrant that haven't really seen a movie like that in
1: some time you could kind of compare it to idiocracy but it's politics are way more radical and like way more focused i think
3: like yeah, idiocracy is
1: not really smart about the targets it chooses. No, it's just
3: like America's it's punching down, dumb, really. stu- like yeah. A bunch of dumb, stupid people.
1: This one uses that same bright, like exaggerated satire, it's and then punches up. up. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really it's going great.
3: out. You know, like you said, capitalism and Amazon and slave labor and all, yeah, all this stuff feels very personal.
0: Yeah.
3: What was your number four? My number four was. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Haven't uh, seen it, even though it's been on
1: Netflix for months. God, you <laughs> son of a bitch.
3: All right. This is the latest film from the Coen brothers, who are definitely some of my favorite directors of all time. And so the basic premise is it's kind of an anthology series of the Old West. So there's like, I think, six different stories. Usually my problem with the anthologies is... They're very hit or miss. You know, like a few of them will be really good. One will be kind of milling, then one bad one. And in this film, five out of the six knock it out of the park. And then there's one with James Franco.
1: I heard that kind of drags it down, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's like not good. I just kind of ignore that and just focus on the other five. But it's this really beautiful kind of critique of America's idea of what the West was like. Like, mm-hmm. I think we kind of romanticized, like, oh, remember, like, there were, like, no laws and it was just open space and cowboys and...
2: I hate all that. For... Not, like, I don't hate, like, the old west, but it all just, like, makes me feel gross.
3: Well, uh, and yeah. that's kind of what this movie is showing is, like, you shouldn't really romanticize it because... Like, glory you could... days or... Yeah, like those that. weren't the glory days because, <laughs> actually, like, you could just get shot and murdered for no reason in, like, an mm-hmm. instant... Or you could die of some disease or catch a disease and die like two days later. And yeah. the Coen brothers brand of humor, like kind of dark, absurdist humor, works really well with that message. Like the first story, for instance, Buster Scruggs, he's
1: like this
3: cowboy that
1: he sings his songs and plays guitar. And kind of like the character in um, Hail Caesar a couple years ago, that like singing cowboy trope. Yeah, the yeah.
3: singing cowboy trope. But he's also like a violent murderer. So he's singing these really catchy country songs while like there's insane violence going on around him. And that kind of humor carries throughout the whole movie. And it it goes from like comic to tragic, like instant, like back and forth. There's another story with Tom Waits who plays a gold prospector. And he's just like that's all he does. He's trying to find gold. He can't find it. And they finally find some, and then bad shit happens almost immediately. And it, it's that kind of, like, yeah, anything can happen in the West, but it's usually bad. And, man, it, it is one of my favorite pieces of any media I've seen this entire... it definitely sounds like some Coen Brothers nihilism. In yeah, there. It, it is nihilistic in a way, but it, I don't know. It's like, it is funny, and it's dark, and it just goes... Back and forth, and that's their whole thing. And
1: I, it's just super enjoyable. I had a blast watching it. The only reason I haven't seen it is because I have a hard time focusing on westerns. Like I'm bored immediately Me when too. I'm in that landscape. But
2: these sound exciting. Yeah, well, these sound, it sounds good, and I like the Especially because it's Coen an Brothers. anthology. Like I feel right. like they go quickly, so there's like not a lot of opportunity to be and bored. And it's kind
3: of critiquing what you're saying. Yeah. Like, but really, it, it's just like. They're such great filmmakers and the way they tell, they're like great storytellers too. Mm-hmm. Like they take all these little stories and you watch and it's just so remarkable the way that they effectively tell a great story in each one. So I thought it was just the Coen brothers, like at the top of their game.
1: And it's another Netflix original. So it's, it's on there in perpetuity.
3: Yeah. Please, I mean, you should really check it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, that was, that's my number four. What about you, Brittany?
2: Um, my number four is also a Netflix original. <laughs> it's The Ritual. Oh
0: yeah,
2: uh, I think this might have been like one of the best fucking horror movies that came out in recent years. Hmm. So it's a, a British horror movie, and it also has um, another Downton Abbey. Yeah,
1: it's got Thomas <laughs> from Downton Abbey. In yeah, it.
2: Thomas, that little bitch.
1: <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> but it's basically a movie about the a group of bros. And they're making plans to go on this hike through like a Swedish forest. And while they're making, they like make the plans at like a pub or something like that. And then one guy goes off to like a corner store, like a liquor store, or a corner store to like buy something and his other friend goes with him and it gets, the store gets like robbed and his friend basically dies during the robbery. So, and while it's occurring. Like he kind of has this guilt within him where he's like, I could have maybe saved my friend, but I didn't want to get involved to save myself. So this main guy kind of has that like guilt with him the entire film. And he keeps having flashbacks to that one moment. But what happens like after the death of their friend, like I want to say like maybe about six months or a year after they're all like, well, to honor his memory, let's just go on this fucking trip and hike through the Swedish forest. It becomes, like, a turned-up version of the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Minus, like, um, the no found shaky footage. Cam. Yeah. shaky camera shit. It's like, they go into the woods, and then they see this, like, elk that's gutted and tied up to a tree. And they're like, oh, it must be, like, some hunters or something. And then the whole time, I'm like, oh, my God, no. Like, somebody's worshipping some weird shit. Get it's the fuck out. another cult movie, yeah. Yes. And then they like hear shit in the woods and then they they happen upon a abandoned like cabin and whenever you go inside there's a bunch of crazy shit made of twigs and it's terrifying like there's this thing where it looks like a headless person but it's a tree stump with like twigs coming out like hands
1: and tree antlers i yeah. mean uh, deer antlers attached <laughs> it's to its hands kind of yeah. like
2: little o <laughs> um, and it's super creepy. So it's obvious, like, some weird shit is going on in this cabin, but they stay there for the night and they all have these nightmares and they wake up, like, really abruptly and they're like, What the fuck's happening? One guy is fucking naked and he's kneeling in front of this, like, twig headless corpse, like, he's praying. The other one's got, like, marks all over him and they're like, What's going on? And then like there's some weird shit that happens and then they find like a small village of people like it's at this point it's obvious there's something in the forest and they find like a village of people and they're like oh sweet like they're gonna help us mm, not so much it just becomes this cool fucking like black metal norse mythology movie like all like, like towards the, the end sounds. yeah yeah it's it's awesome. It's really
1: cool. And I like the nightmares, like, mix the memory of what happened in that liquor store with the natural environment. Yes. So, like, the woods become part of their memory of, like, the urban place they're from in Ireland.
0: Yeah.
2: They're,
1: they're Irish, right? I believe so. Something like that. And, uh, yeah, it's just really cool imagery.
2: Because it's like the, the store is in the woods. Like, you can see the trees yeah. in the store and it's stuff. It's bizarre. It's cool. And
1: then, on top of that, you have this whole other wicker man type cult that they like stumble into and that gets really cool once you see the creature and this cool
2: scene when they make it to the village where it's like in an attic and the guy's walking through and there's a bunch of like corpses it looks like a schoolhouse or like a church or something like that and there's a bunch of like gooey freshly like you know decomposing corpses and they're all sit up like upright like they're listening or they're watching this fucking crazy looking thing in the front and they're moving it looks
1: like a sermon yeah, yeah. And,
2: and you can and they're making noises like like they're like still talking and oh it's just so it's so freaking creepy it's a
1: really good creep
2: out i would say it's more creepy than violent where i don't know like comparing this to apostle like apostle isn't scary i think it's just fucking like gory as shit and fun but this was really creepy to me and yeah, and if you're into Norse mythology, you know, Hail Odin. Um <laughs> it's really cool.
3: Yeah. I checking it a lot. off all the boxes for yeah. me. I'm, <laughs> i might actually have to watch that tonight.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> it's on Netflix. It, yeah.
2: yeah, it's on Netflix. So yeah, it's gonna be on there forever. It,
3: it <laughs> keeps getting recommended to me. I don't know why I put it off. That sounds awesome.
2: Yeah, it's it's cool. Like I love like any kind of weird twig shit <laughs> in, in movies. Like if someone makes something out of twigs, they're like, ah, it's evil. Don't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of it. Um. So, anyways, what is your number four, Brandon? It's the third
1: sci-fi film with Tessa Thompson in it on my top ten. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's definitely my MVP of the year. Yes. Uh, it's called Dirty Computer, and it is a feature-length music video compilation based on the Janelle Monae album of the same name from last year. Uh, it's a also a sci-fi narrative film, so it's you know. Got the visual album anthology of music videos uh, that like Lemonade was a few years ago, but it has more of a narrative to it than Lemonade does. Nice. The basic plot is that Janelle Monae is this sort of like radical in this post-apocalyptic world where she is abducted by the government who is draining the gay out of her. They like Ugh. hang her upside down oh, no. and then. Put these like tubes in her, and these like rainbow ooze comes out, and they're like pulling it out of her and then deleting all these memories. And the memories of the music videos it's Hmm. like memories of her hanging out with her friends and being herself and fighting the cops and like you know knocking police drones out of the sky. And just like, and then the memories start getting weirder and start looking more like dreams and fantasies. And they can't tell the difference between what's a memory and what's just her psyche. So, on top of that story, the songs are just really fucking cool. Uh, it's got this. Like, uh, I think Prince collaborated on a few of the songs before he died, and oh, it's wow. got a very Prince feel to it. So uh, is it just the the Dirty Computer album? Yeah. Is the son- okay, because I've listened to the album.
3: I, I guess I wasn't aware that there was a whole
1: visual. It's free on YouTube. It's called Dirty Computer and a Motion Picture. The songs are fucking great. Yeah, the songs are really good. That was a good album. The... Video, I mean, she came out as like a bisexual woman this year or or a pansexual woman. I can't remember what Mm -hmm. her distinction was, but this is definitely like a queer black woman throwing punches at this like society that doesn't want her to exist. Her and Tessa Thompson are like a part of a thruple in the film and you watch the three of them run around defying this like culture that wants to other them and like drain the otherness out of them. And they're defiantly sticking to their guns and uh, you know, tearing down the system and it feels so good. And you know, the music is just so good that like it's easy to get swept up in the emotion of the story as well. And then the song for pink, which is like just a song about how much she loves vagina is like a fun aside. So she gets to have like a fun and sexy moment. And then she gets to have these other moments that are like purely political. Like let's burn all the shit to the ground. It's just this great all encompassing story. And it's a very personal statement. Hmm. Um, Even though there's like seven different directors that collaborated in the project, she is very much like the auteur of the piece. And if you've been following her career since like the Android days of like her early EPs, the Android suite, I think they were called this feels like a culmination of everything she's been working on since then. Like all that, like really well thought out sci-fi and like all these metaphors. Yeah, the been, like, stuff. yeah. This feels like all of that coming to a head in this like really fully realized artist statement. And it works just as well as a narrative film as it does just like for a showcase of how great Janelle Monáe is and how lucky we are to have someone who can continue like that Prince style of like gender and sexuality fuckery in like this modern world that needs it. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah, that's so crazy because I was excited about that album
3: and then it came out and I listened to it and I don't know how I wasn't aware that there was this visual component. It's crazy it, like...
1: to me that it didn't make bigger waves than it did. Yeah. It was kind of like announced and then forgotten. It's the movie on this list that I've easily seen the most just because it's an hour long and it's on YouTube. So it's so easy to just rewatch and mm-hmm. rewatch. Nice.
2: It sounds like there's, like, a lot of work put into it for, like, people not to recognize it.
1: Yeah, I don't understand. And that album has been popping up on a lot of, like, best of the year album lists. Yeah. So it's even weirder that, you so know.
2: Strange.
1: And another thing about it not going bigger is that, like, there's no physical media for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I would buy a Blu-ray of this so I could watch it without the, you know, commercial breaks that pop up on yeah. YouTube. I would go to a theater and watch this on the big screen because it is a visually stunning piece of art. And it's just not getting that lemonade like earth shattering treatment that Beyonce got, which, you know, it's a few years later. So I guess it's less of a form breaker in that way, but it's, it's a really great film.
3: It is interesting that it's in your top 10 films and it's kind of, it seems like it's blurring the line of, or even bringing up the question, like what is a film exactly? If it's not, if it's never released in theaters and it's, you can only watch it on, like, YouTube. It, it seems like some weird gray area. Like, I, it's definitely a film, yeah, but and, not in some <laughs> traditional sense.
1: And I feel especially confident about this one because it is a narrative piece. It's not just,
3: like, an extended music video. There's a narrative arc to it.
1: But we're also living in a time where a lot of our favorite movies aren't going to theaters at all. Right. They're going straight to Netflix. Or yeah, a lot of yeah. our
3: ones are Netflix. It's just a list. changing landscape. Yeah, and that's an interesting example, I think. This
1: deserves to be on the big screen though. Like I would go to a midnight, you know, cult showing of this in 10 years if, if it ever gets the respect it deserves. It's it's a real Sounds like it will. Like it sounds like people art.
2: will catch up with it much later on and then it'll become a big thing. Yeah.
1: Even as much attention as Janelle monet got last year. Yeah. And I know The Dirty Computer tour was like a big hit. I don't think we fully respected her yet yeah. i think that's still coming um and this movie is so stunning like i it's easy to get emotional about it on top of it just being like a really fun dance album that has like a visual component to it cool Sounds very so cool, cool stuff yeah I'm queer Afrofuturist but... sci-fi music videos Sold. yeah like watch <laughs> it
3: yeah there's been some there's been a good year for like you have that you have sorry to bother you even black like panther. black yeah black panther I would throw in, like, even Black Klansmen. I'm Not a Witch, too, I would throw in. Like, I don't know. It's a good year for black filmmakers and black artists, it feels like. And they're kind of getting the respect that's been coming to them for a long time. Yeah. So And
1: the art's getting weirder, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, like... People are taking more chances on, like, um, Mm outside-the-box projects from that that demographic. And it's been great. Uh, What was your number three, James?
3: Well, so my number three... And we've talked about it a bunch, so I don't know if I can find much more to say, but Annihilation. Well, I guess one thing that we haven't really talked about with it is, and maybe you would know this, Brandon. Was it successful at the box office? No, it bombed. That's what I, because I remember reading an article when it first came out that was kind of discouraging because after Ex Machina, the studio gave him like a lot of money to make this Annihilation It is definitely one of the best movies of the year, but nobody went and saw it. And now I'm sort of concerned that big studios aren't going to give money to these kind of films. And I think that that's really sad. And I wish more people went to go see this because it's like the the studios are the one that kind of have the power. And if they're not going to give the money to a great filmmaker like this Mm -hmm. to do what he wants, I just feel like that's really a shame. Yeah, like yeah I don't most, know if you have any thoughts uh, on that.
1: Most like top grocers of the year are going to be superhero movies, franchises, reboots, sequels, stuff that people know are a sure thing. Because going to the movies is expensive. Right. Especially if you're going to like take your kids and get popcorn and all that stuff. So people are more interested in having a sure thing. And they'll take a chance on a movie like, oh, I'll see that if it's any good when it's on Netflix. And it's like, well... No, they're going to stop making them if you don't go out to see them. So, yeah, and that's my fear. This felt so,
3: Annihilation feels so bold and cutting edge, and it's beautiful. And you could tell it cost a lot of money mm-hmm. and it used it, it used every penny of it, you know, to get across that vision. But it also makes me a little scared because it bombed so hard that we're not going to see these kind of really cutting edge sci fi, big budget films in the future
2: so that sounds like a sci-fi movie in itself <laughs> right <laughs>
1: imagine a world without any science fiction not yet but yeah not to
3: we've already talked about why it's so yeah great and fantastic it's just a
1: beautiful stunning film that i would love to continue to uh, see films like that on the big screen I, I hope that like rely on netflix to keep putting this stuff out like a yeah. theater
2: like broader britannia will bring it back or something for some kind of fucking series if I would gets, love to see that on the big screen. And I like, I think that's like my regret of 2018 is to get some it. kind
1: of awards play, but I really don't even see that happening. Yeah. I don't see it. Yeah. Maybe for like visual effects, but those aren't usually the ones that go into like Oscar showcases. Yeah.
2: So. Damn it.
3: So not to end on our discussion of annihilation on a dour note, but
1: it's still a great film. You can
2: still yeah. watch it. It's still
3: awesome. Please see We're it. just talking about the truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I I loved Annihilation so much. Anyway, so Brittany, what was your number three?
2: My number three, which is one that I did get to see in the movie theater, which was it was probably one of the first movies I saw in theaters this year. Um, Unsane. Oh yeah, ah, yeah. So good. So um, it's a Steven Soderbergh film that was filmed on an iPhone Seven, which you can't really tell. Like it feels. It's I got know, almost like a
1: security footage grain to it. Yeah. Those cameras on those iPhones are so n- nice.
3: And
2: I think, too, what he does so
3: well is you take sort of like Tangerine, too, mm-hmm. that's filmed on an iPhone. You take the limitations of the device and make it work for you, not against you. And they're
1: usually mounted to a rig, too, so it's not like a shaky handheld iPhone experience. You've got this like very like solid object that it's attached to.
3: But yeah, it does, the like really digital quality of it, but it, it also feels like kind of grainy.
1: Well, it's a very um, sickly image. And the world that this is in is a lot of offices and like medical just facilities. Grainy places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, fits, so it, it fits, fits the environment. Yeah, yeah.
2: You can't, nothing can make that shit look beautiful. But this film also stars Claire Foy. And I feel like she has had a very good year. Hell yeah. But she's in this movie and she works in an office and she's like recently like you can she's living on her own she's like moved away from something and you find out that she used to have like a stalker and she moved to a different place to like kind of get away from him and start anew and she starts to see a therapist and it's a therapist at like a behavioral health facility and she is signing something. I don't really remember like what she thought she was signing, but what she is signing is she's voluntarily admitting herself into this mental institution, which she did not intend to do. And the way they worded the documentation to her, that's not what they were selling her.
1: It's a bureaucratic
2: insurance scam. Yes, which... I- happens all the fucking time which is terrifying (laughs) so this movie like i think i had to double my prozac the day that i saw this because it was so like high anxiety so intense because like shit like this happens and you're like you're with her while she's going through it so she's like and she's pissed off because she's admitted into a place she didn't want to admit herself into so the more she voices her like opinion on it and it's like i didn't do this they're like well we're gonna you know keep you here for another week because obviously you're <laughs> unstable and then they start like giving her medicine and if she doesn't take her medicine they're like they keep adding on they're, like you're not ready to go yet so she's fucking stuck in there and like no one can get her out and she's like trying to get in touch with her mother to be like can you you know like to get some kind of help and then one of the orderlies at this facility is like resembles her stalker and then she's like fuck my stalker's here so then at that point you as like someone watching the movie start to question like is she legitimately crazy and should she be in there or like is this horrible thing really happening to her so there's a big part of the movie where you don't know to believe her or you don't know if she is legitimately like mentally ill and something's going on so it's ah, it's <laughs> so scary and yeah the bigger reveal at the end is pretty fucking insane yeah for sure
1: It's a funny movie for, like, both being, like, basically genre trash, like, leaning into the worst cliches about, like, mental institution patients and, you know, stalker horror kind of stuff. And then also this really smart political satire about, like, the bureaucracy of insurance scams and uh, how women are disbelieved when they, like, raise a red flag. Exactly. I really liked it. It's like well, like number twelve. It's like just it's okay. not the top ten, but I really like it a made lot. It. Yeah,
2: it's just very unique. Like it's it kind of sits there on its own as far as like psychological thrillers go.
3: And I think that's what Steven Sodenberg does so well is like he's probably the most or one of the most experimental filmmakers. Like mm-hmm. everything, I don't. Know, it always seems like he's toying with some new ideas, some new like gimmick to like put limitations on himself to like see how he can work with it. And he usually is like pretty successful. And this is like a good example where he takes, like you were saying, like kind of just your normal trashy idea of like, I'm in a mental institution and like my stalkers. Is she crazy
1: or isn't she crazy? Right. Yeah.
3: (laughs) But I love how it, it ends up like, because I've seen a lot of these movies where it's like, oh, no, she's crazy. It's all in her head. And this one's like, no, nah, that's actually like her stalker, dude. He yeah. works there. <laughs> and so it just makes it so much more and like real. He
2: is like the creepiest fucker <laughs> ever, too. Yeah.
3: there, There's some really. I saw the movie. That came out in like January, right? Yeah. Uh, it was a long time uh, ago. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was beginning of the, beginning of the year. year. So it, it's been a while since I've seen it. But I just remember a lot of like really intense scenes
1: just very ugly close-ups of people in that like sickly like iphone green it's yes so really you can ugly see like every movie. freckle and every face it is it is ugly <laughs> it reminded me of uh um, and their pores david lynch's uh inland empire in, in that way but i fucking hate inland empire because it's like pretentious art and this is like not art this is like it's smart but it's also like genre trash and like yeah. it fits the look of it more
2: it made me like normally i sign things if it's too long and I don't read it all the way. I just kind of skim it. And I'm like, <laughs> after this, I was like, I'm reading. Every contract. everything, <laughs> Yeah, because like the company i work for got bought out by another company so we started doing like all our paperwork for them and they were like yeah just sign right here and i'm like excuse me like <laughs> give me 30 minutes to read this
1: <laughs> also
2: <laughs> i don't want to sign my life away
1: there's this throwaway gag early in the movie where claire ford just says hail satan for no reason that makes me laugh so <laughs> She's hard so funny <laughs> yeah. like
2: at, like her as like her character i would that would be like somebody i'd be friends with 100 <laughs> percent um so yeah that was my number three what is your number three it's uh
1: something i'm surprised hasn't shown up on a list yet so i assume we're about to talk about it a lot uh it's called mandy and it's directed by <laughs> panos cosmatos um or cosmatos so i'm not really sure something, how to pronounce the name. Yeah. you know director of beyond the black rainbow And if you've ever seen that movie, you know what his movie is going to look like. Lots Uh, of
2: neon reds.
1: Yeah. Just (laughs) intense washes of overwhelming monochromatic colors, disgusting hell beasts from other dimensions. Uh, This is set in like an early 80s heavy metal alternate (laughs) reality. It's another revenge tale, kind of like Upgrade, where um, Nicolas Cage has this idyllic relationship with Andrea Risenborough, Riseboro. Mm-hmm. And that blissful honeymoon they're living is taken away from them by these religious acid freaks and these like <laughs> demon bikers from hell. And Nick Cage has to uh, stage a one-person revenge mission against them using a self- forged axe and a chainsaw and whatever random objects and weapons he can find yeah. along the way. It sounds like a badass heavy metal like it party banger. Fucking is. Cuz it is. It's also in the second <laughs> half. It also is a deeply sad empty feeling every mm-hmm. time he kills somebody he doesn't feel good like mm-hmm. this is not the mom and dad like fun Nick Cage cartoon this is like really depressing like doom riffs kind of metal we like yeah dude. it's just like a further and further descent into the blackest pit of a soul well, uh, so, and I love so, it so much so, to, great so, description that
0: is a great description
3: <laughs> so to kind of combine because it's my number two hell yeah so it's a nice seg- three two for me I love how it's chopped up. The first half feels Mm -hmm. like a really slow art house film. And then the second half is like this fever pitch, violent rampage. Yeah. But like Brandon pointed to, and a lot of it has to do with the the soundtrack, which features Johan Johannesburg. Didn't l- he j- pass Joh- away Johansson. this year? Or Johansson? Yeah, he
2: died in 2018,
1: huh? Yeah, this was his final score, I believe, and he also collaborated with members of Sun O. Sun O. Mm-hmm. Who, if you're not familiar,
3: they p- wear like uh, cloaks and they play super loud like funeral, doom. funeral dune Funeral <laughs> dune, just like really bass heavy. Yeah, and they're all over the soundtrack of this movie. Yeah, it's more Doom. Like, if you're talking about sub of metal, it's more mm-hmm. Doom than, like, your typical heavy metal. Right. Because it's so depressive. It's got
1: kind of that stoner metal pacing where it's just, like, the downbeat comes, like, like a <laughs> half-tick later than you expect. It yeah. goes yeah. so
2: well. Like, there's... One of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is when he's going through this tunnel on this ATV, and there's just, that like, fucking Doom metal playing in yeah. the background. It's like...
3: <gasps> it's just... And honestly, like they don't actually do much for like i've listened to some suno records and it's good like headphone stuff and i guess you have to see it live because you can feel it in your chest but like um <laughs> they've never really done it for me it feels like too abstract but somehow seeing it with the images in this movie really brought it to like a whole nother level and holy shit yeah it's just like Metal as fuck, dude. This movie is so mm-hmm. fucking metal. I think one of it's, the
1: first episodes last year we did, I made y'all watch Deathgasm. I was like, yeah, this is the most metal love movie Death I've Gatham. ever seen. And I think Mandy's more metal. I, like, yeah, yeah Deathgasm's <laughs> like it's number two. It's truly metal. Yeah. yeah,
3: It's not yeah. like some kind of... Not that Deathgasm is like poser in any way, but yeah. this feels more <laughs> like... <laughs> Put de- a poser <laughs> Yeah, it's a poser metal movie. This is more like ethereal, deep, heavy... like what metal is truly at is core. it's
1: about misery (laughs) yeah and like you
3: say he is miserable even when he's killing these insane acid freaks man is that movie is a ride
2: it's it's like my number two as well so we can keep talking about (laughs) about it Boom, this is (laughs) great we just keep talking about it god this is so great so i was so pumped to catch this in theaters because brandon told me about it and he's like oh it's probably only gonna be there for a week or something like that at broad so i was like fuck i need to see it and then i missed it and i was like damn it and then broad did it for like another week because it was doing so well there for so
1: long for like months it felt like so i
2: caught it and i was that whole experience like i feel like i didn't blink the entire time my eyes were so dry like i needed that what's his face Visine? Visine, yes.
3: I needed some cause I was stoned off my ass <laughs> in a oh a no. movie. I was
2: I was like post work and I was like, let me go catch it. And then I was like oh, but just like glued to the yeah. back of like my seat and then I was like the whole time I was like oh Wow, like there's a scene where he takes a fucking chain where he drops a chainsaw and there's this huge metal chain and he fucking lassos it around <laughs> and grabs this fucking dude and it's so oh so badass. Like whenever the movie was over mm. with, like the cleaning guy came in and he was like, Yeah, everybody looks like this after this movie <laughs> Right. Yeah, I was
1: really proud. Um you know, I was saying like about sorry to bother you, I was proud of people like for like going with it. I was proud for this one because the distribution company uh-huh. normally only puts stuff on VOD. Uh, and they were like, okay, we'll do one night in the theater for uh, people to go watch it. And I bought a ticket months in advance to go see this movie <laughs> at Canal Place, which I don't like going there particularly. Then Broad announced announced, Oh, we're actually gonna do it for a whole week. Fuck yeah. And then that week turned into like months, it felt like. It
2: was awesome. Like there was a Mandy virus going on in the city and I was living for it.
1: It was like a true cult following, like instantly. Yes. Like and That's such a rare thing for a movie this weird and this odd and this challenging. I
2: don't think I've ever seen something like that before. Like, after the movie, like, the coffee shop I usually go to, like, I went in and they changed their Wi-Fi password to Cheddar Goblin.
1: Fuck yeah. And I thought it
2: was Cheddar Goblin is so good. (laughs) It was so funny. Uh, But it was everywhere. Like, it just, you know, Mandy references were just, like, all, like, following me everywhere. I just, it was a great, like, time to be alive.
3: It, It felt, comparing it to metal, it's, like, a really good set list the way the movie proceeds cuz you know like we said it starts with like kind of slow ethereal it just kind of sucks you in and not like i was going to fall asleep or anything but i was just sort of like watching it just kind of taking it all in mm-hmm. visually and then yeah when that second half when the violence finally comes it's like when the band you went to see they they're finally starting to play their hits and yeah. it's like oh okay good like I recognize that song, like <laughs> Nick Cage is going to go fucking insane and say some crazy stuff. And so it just felt like it lulled you in to the scene where you're like, oh, am I going to watch this like dreary art house film? And then it's like, no, it's going to crank it like, up to 11.
2: Uh, the minute he starts like wielding the axe, you're like, this is it. Yeah, like, this it is makes is it. it
3: so much more effective because you don't quite know what movie you've gotten yourself into. And that's such yeah. a fun viewing experience.
2: And he does like some signature, like stupid Nicolas Cage shit that everybody likes, but without being cheesy and over the top.
1: Yeah, he has this like freak out moment. Like when he's
2: like after she dies and like he's drinking like vodka in his bathroom and just screaming.
1: <laughs> yeah, that
3: was
2: in but his it's underwear. So painful.
1: Like it's funny and it's absurd. Right. But there's also like a deep guttural pain to it. It's <laughs> it's uncomfortable and it's gross.
2: <laughs> it's like you feel bad for it, but you're like, God, he's being kind of weird. And then like at the end Because he didn't lose
3: his girlfriend. I mean, he is in pain.
2: I know. I don't know. I just felt like it was weird, but in a fun way. I guess I didn't feel his pain too much. I felt his pain more so whenever he was, like, killing people. But that end scene where he gets in the car and he's, like, covered in blood and he sees her ghost and he just smiles. (laughs) It's so, so weird. Visually, it
3: is... I mean, I I liked Beyond the Black Rainbow, but I liked this a a good bit more. I don't know. I
1: rewatched Beyond the Black Rainbow. We did a whole movie of the month for it Oh, uh, after this came out. And I don't really have a clear favorite between the two of them. I think they're really masterful. It had just been a few years since Beyond the Black Rainbow came out. I was like, oh, that one wasn't as emotional or it wasn't as like well thought out and then you rewatch it like oh no it's it's there i i, I recommend revisiting it in, in retrospect of this film i think they pair well together
3: that director do you know the director's name panos Cosmatos. Cosmatos.
1: okay his dad uh, directed cobra with uh Sylvester isn't that that's fucking weird, weird? yeah that's so bizarre
3: <laughs> but i don't know whenever they have one of these like really cool art house kind of directors everyone says like oh you know i want them they're really good directors, but if they could just tell like a clear narrative story, like then they'll create like a masterpiece. But I kind of want him to keep going in this direction, like mm-hmm. keep getting weirder and like more out there and more tonal shifts.
1: His yeah. movies look and feel and sound like no one else's movies.
2: We which need is more Mandy's valuable. in the yeah. world for sure.
1: Well, my number <sighs> two for the year since <laughs> we just blew through a few of those in a row. Yeah. That uh, <laughs> Was a movie I've made, all of y'all watch individually, and I've not shut up about it since I saw it in February, because it's so great. It's called Double Lover by yes. Francois Ozon. <laughs> it's another De Palma-type psychological horror. Um, in this one, this woman has this pain in her stomach that she just feels all the time, and no one can explain it. She goes to several doctors. The doctors are like, there's nothing wrong with you. This is psychosomatic. You're like hysterical, pretty much. So they... Eventually, recommend that she goes to a therapist. She falls in love with the therapist, which violates all kinds of ethical rules, and moves in with him. And then discovers he has a twin who is an evil therapist who also (laughs) lives in the same city. And then the good twin and the bad twin, quote unquote, uh, start to apply different therapy styles to her. One of them is like a negging asshole sadist and the other is this like over-understanding super kind masochist and the movie just goes further and further into her psychology as she like falls in love with both of these men and falls in love with fucking both of these men. And the movie's list of kinks starts to get more and more ridiculous. There's like red wings and pegging and bisexual threesomes and these like impossible configurations of the three people. (laughs) Uh, And then it just turns into this unholy erotic nightmare that just like loses all its (laughs) goddamn mind as it like goes further and further into what she's feeling and believing about reality and reality crumbles around her. And at the end, there's a very clear explanation of what she's been through and what all these things represent but uh, the ride to get to that explanation is fucking wild. And I love it. Uh, me and James did a whole episode where I made him watch it for a movie. The minute we did. Yeah.
3: It, I really love this movie too. Yeah. It's I'm great. So glad you showed me this one. Yeah, it is. Um, Again, kind of like we were talking about with cam. Like I think De Palma is really his like legacy. You sort of see in some of these like new films coming out. And I think he's, more influential than i even
1: realized because in his day people just sort of passed him off as you know hitchcock part two right uh but that's not really true like he has has his own flavor than hitchcock ever had just shameless (laughs) smut on top of the uh you know paranoia and stuff really great (laughs) film i love it so much
2: it's really good like i didn't know what i was expecting but you like just kept talking about it and i'm like it has to be like good or Something.
1: Or Brandon won't shut up, one of the two. Yeah, I don't
2: know. Like, what the fuck does he keep talking about? So I, like, watched it, and it was it was so good. It was very, very French. It's, like, the, the like, grossest shit is happening, but it's so classy at the it's same time. It's pretentious
1: French smug. It's so fun. Yeah. I
2: love that kind of stuff, though. It's yeah. kind of like, I felt, like, so, like, highbrow, watching this, like, weird, you know, body morphing into, like, yeah, two and, people. And
3: we... <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this a lot during this podcast and other episodes, but like that mixing of highbrow and lowbrow, this is such a perfect example. Oh, yeah. Of it's like taking that French high art, intellectual, like philosophical, <laughs> yeah. their mumbo jumbo talking. Like it's taking that and then mixing it
1: with smut and Some, like, trash smutty sci fi. I'm like shit. looking at my top 10, and I feel like I could say that about every film on here that I liked. It's very much like. Highbrow, fine art interpretations of like low genre trash. And the ones towards the top are the ones that look super nice and are super smutty, like <laughs> horned up garbage. Uh, like I really like the most extreme ends of that. Like I want it to look like a beautiful art piece and I want it to be like the most base. I'm with, uh, I'm with you. Yeah. A
3: hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And like, kind of like you were saying, it has a very clear kind of story that it's telling but as you're watching your lawn for the ride you kind of know where it's going it does throw some curveballs away but you kind of get the general sense of what's happening and it ends in a satisfying way but it is all about the ride and it is like so much fun because it keeps getting elevated the sexual perversion whatever you want to call it it's a very kinky movie kinky yeah, yeah. the kink
1: just. If you you were, like, underwhelmed by the kink in, like, the Fifty Shades movies, this movie has enough kink for, like, that whole trilogy. And, like,
2: a weird, like, super cool, gross ending. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It, like,
1: turns into straightforward horror in the last 20 minutes.
2: (laughs) That was my favorite part, I think.
1: (laughs) You know, Cece and I talked about that uh, at the French Film Fest last year. uh, And then you and I did a movie The Minute on it later. So we've talked about that movie to death. I, I I can only say please watch Double Lover and give it a shot. Uh, so many times. So I think we're down to our number ones wow. for the year. Uh oh. Do you want to count down your top five, James?
3: So my top five would be Black Klansman, then Ballad of Buster Scruggs, then Annihilation, and I got Mandy at number two. And my number one pick of the year is.
1: First reformed.
0: Oh. Um, Boo. <laughs> <Piss>. <laughs> wow.
3: I knew that would not get a good
1: um, I felt like I had to go full wrestling on you.
0: I no. know.
3: I, and so it's so funny, like I watched this movie and I like had all these thoughts and I was so high on it. <laughs> and then I read Brandon's kind of middling <laughs> review on Swamp Flicks and then we ran into each other at a show. Uh, like, a week later, and I just confronted him. I was like, Brandon, like, I don't agree with that review <laughs> of First Reformed at all. Like, you're wrong, dude. Like, this is best movie of the year.
1: I didn't really have a combative answer to that. I was like, yeah, I didn't like it that much. <laughs> I know. <laughs>
3: yeah. And That's kind of... So I knew, like, going into it, like, oh, this is not so going to be a popular...
2: All the, like, big top ten lists that I was, like, reviewing, like, just to uh-huh. see what people were thinking, that was a number one on a lot of, like people's list like professional it's, critics yes like yeah. like legit people so that's what made me watch it
1: so
3: you you've seen it yes too. Okay. i saw
2: it like probably i think two weeks ago so did you like recent. it at all it was good
1: i, I don't know I, it was
2: it was good <laughs> um it just made me feel weird I guess weird and horrible yeah made me that's feel like the that's the times person. we live in
3: and that okay if i can just yeah tell you why do you yeah. please Impacted me so much is and it's kind of what I was saying with Black Klansmen. this past year 2018 especially felt like such a fucked up and we're in a weird time in human history and yeah with this whole Trump presidency we're going through and the other stuff like the Charlottesville and and climate change like America can't even agree that climate change is like a real thing we're trying to get our politicians to like speak up and figure it out. And meanwhile, the earth is like heating up and we might all be dead, you know, within a couple lifetimes. And so that all sounds really apocalyptic and dire. But if I'm being honest, my own personal opinion, I think it's getting pretty dire, especially with the climate change. There were a
1: lot of articles this year about like how we're past the going back point And like, right. yeah, we, the we've countdown reached a, clock has started. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: we've reached a point where... No matter what we even try to do to correct it, it's, it's gone. Mm -hmm. We've already fucked it up. So knowing that and believing that, and then seeing first reformed, which is pretty much what that movie is about. It's about a priest Mm -hmm. who, you know, talks to, I guess he's like an eco terrorist guy that believes all this stuff that the world is climate change is real Mm -hmm. and we need to do drastic things, you know, to course correct. And basically, the guy gives up hope. He commits suicide and he kind of passes along his mission to Ethan Hawke, who is this priest who's struggling with his faith. And he's, you could tell he kind of knows that it's true what the guy is saying, but he also believes in God and that God has a plan. And he's trying to like parse that out. And like, it's a crisis of faith movie, but it's also about where our politics are at in 2018 and how we're living in really extreme polarized times. And I thought that this movie, don't get me wrong, Mandy and the double lovers and all that, they're fucking (laughs) great. They're fun. Awesome movies, but they're diversions. And this felt like a movie and why I put it on number one, it felt like it's so fucking important. And it is about like, where we're at as a human race right now in 2018. And so I get why other people would be kind of like, like, I don't go to the movies to like, I don't want to think about that kind of shit, you Mm -hmm. know? And it, and it is like dark and it's a little depressing to think about, but I think it's true. And I think this movie is like fucking important. And I think as years go on, we'll look back and be like, yeah, first reform, like pretty much summed up, where we were at
1: in 2018. I mean, it's important, but if you're open to that message, the movie's going to be preaching to the choir. And if you're close to that message, the movie's not going to change your mind on it. Uh, well, I think
3: that's exactly what it's about the divisiveness. Like, there's that scene where he's speaking to some youth ministry, and the one kid is like radical. And he even says like, you know, oh man, these kids nowadays, like, you know, it's, they're all radicalized. It's so black and white. And I I feel like that was more, the movie I don't think was a message film necessarily about save the planet. Mm -hmm. I think it was like, we're so fucked because we're so divided because shit is so black and white. And we, if you can't agree that climate change is real, are these basic things, how are we going to agree on things that are more like complex. And so it's just kind of saying like, yeah, that divisiveness of like it's black and white is sort of what's driving us against each other. And so like, I do get that point, but I feel like that was intentional in the movie. Like, of course a liberal is going to see it and it's going to feel like preaching to the choir. And someone that doesn't believe in climate change would be like, ah, oh, there's a bunch of bullshit. It's so preachy. But That's kind of the point is that, there is no coming together. There's no, like, concessions to be made at this point. We're reaching some bleak, like, breaking point, And we're not going to be able to, like, come
1: together. Hey, that lady had a really cool lamp in her living room, too, though. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: I like I that, I I know, that I lamp a lot. So I hate to, like... <laughs> get all super heavy. No, it's and, true.
2: I can see it. I get what you're saying.
3: You know, as someone that's like really into politics mm-hmm. and philosophy and all that aside, the film itself is beautifully executed and the dialogue is great. The direction's great. But yeah, I picked this as my number one because I felt like it just just sums up so much like where mm-hmm. we're at. And it's a deep, meaningful It is 2018 film. in a it, movie. It's so 20... Like. <laughs> this and black clansmen yeah and it's sorry to bother you those three especially i feel
1: like that's where we're those are political statements political statements where of are. where we're at
3: yeah right now and this one took I the cake it kind just of. kind of
1: reminded me of um where we were split on a ghost story as well mm-hmm. like will oldham has that speech about like how nothing matters and like anything you do in the long run of the scheme of things is completely pointless And that movie and this movie, the same like pointlessness to me, it was like, well, if that's true, what am I doing watching this instead of something fun with the few minutes I have left alive and the the diversion to
3: like enact change or get you to like, I need to go protest this or that.
1: No, it's more of a hopeless feeling. Yeah. And I don't know the, the distractions that come in this movie. I think work, I really like the ending a lot, and I really like the levitation scene. Oh, the
2: levitation scene was the so levitation- great. Oh, it's, uh, that's one hot. of my
1: favorite scenes. <laughs> and I really like that lamp. I'm not even exaggerating. There's just, like this eyeball lamp that hangs <laughs> yeah. out. It looks fucking cool. <laughs> I know what you talking about, yeah. But I don't know. It, it didn't really amount to much to me personally. <laughs> I respect its politics, and I like the idea of like what it's going for. I just didn't really like connect with it emotionally or anything. That's fair. Yeah.
2: I liked the like whole... Religious aspect of it too, like how when he starts to like voice his opinion to that other pastor, he gets like shut Cedric down. The entertainer, which where, is such a great casting, <laughs> so weird. But he was so good in that in that role. But it's it's kind of like how they kind of look down on him, like oh, you're the priest for like a tourist church, you right. know, and they kind of shit on him and ignored him and like tried to keep him silent. And I'm just kind of like, wow, like, I wonder, I mean, obviously that shit probably does go on, but well, no, yeah. no one ever explores that in film. Like
3: he tells him, like, basically that the church is a business and we have yeah. to like make money. And yeah, if I it's have like to, really sad, it is sad. And but it's true. And true. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, well, you know, we kind of have to sell our soul to these corporations so we can have these huge mega churches. And who are you? Fuck. Working in this little like the mega big...
2: church is like the equivalent of a haunted house. <laughs> yeah, to me. It's, it's They're terrifying. so
3: terrifying. But yeah, he kind of like Ethan Hawke's character mm-hmm. is pleading. He has this like very pure view, right, of what the church which did. is he's
2: yeah like his view is so godly, and it seems like you know right what Jesus what it, would do. But Cedric the it's... Entertainer is like telling
3: him no, the world's more complex than that, and that yeah. also ties into the whole political message about like climate change Uh too of like you have people on one side that are saying we need to save the earth and then you have people like well it's a complex issue and of course people need their cars and we need factories and you know and so that's sort of the debate but again i think the whole central point is how do you marry those two and how do you come to any common understanding that's why 2018 sucked. And I <laughs> yeah, hope 20, totally. And I hope 2019 is a better year. But Fuck yeah, all those articles
1: about like the world is literally ending around us were pretty fucking grim. Uh, yeah. Which is why I need Paddington 2s to like, oh God, yeah. You right, know, right. pump me back up. So
2: it's like a, a good double feature. Like, first reform to get fucking woke and then Paddington 2 so yeah, you can and sleep without crying. Like, I'm, <laughs>
3: and I'm not trying to say like I want all my movies to be Yeah, like yeah, those. yeah. I get it. You know, part of me wants to put like Mandy. the number one because it's the most fun I had Mm -hmm. in the theater all year but if films are supposed to like awaken something in in us and create empathy then this is like I feel like important in that distinction because it's like we need to find a way to empathize with people that are on the other side of this seemingly black or white Mm -hmm. issue. Anyway First Reform that's my number (laughs) one (laughs) Obviously not a popular
1: opinion. No, I'm I mean, we, that. we I mean,
3: not liked amongst,
2: it. Like amongst like legit critics. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like hey, everyone loved
1: I mean, it. mean we're trash people, but,
3: you know, <laughs> real well, important like trash. philosophers. People <laughs> don't don't trash, it.
2: Well, Brittany, so what was your number one? So let me do that backwards countdown oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're your yeah. top keep... five. <laughs> so five was Elizabeth Harvest for The Ritual. Um, number three, Unsane. Number two, Mandy. And number one, Hereditary.
3: Yeah.
1: Spooky.
3: I,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie so much. It did not disappoint because I expected a lot from it because Tony Collette is my favorite actress of all time. Like
3: there's a lot of hype I too.
2: Love her. And there was a lot of hype around it. Let me let's talk about the hype for Hereditary for a hot second. Because I thought it was so smart in how they marketed this movie. Mm -hmm. Because there's an individual that shows up in all the advertising for it, and they die (laughs) early on in the film. So that death was so unexpected and so surprising because they led us to believe this. Ma- this isn't a main character. You are gonna see this person like throughout There's the film. There is a lot of audience gasping during that scene. <laughs> it was so that was good. a very shocking scene. Yeah, so I think like a lot of films like nowadays they want to pull you in by like giving away too much of what's happening, and they didn't do that. And I think that's why there was so it was so like shocking to everyone because no one expected it, But everybody was pretty good about keeping the secret. But um, I think I've seen this movie 15 times this year. Oh, shit. I nice. love it. And each time I watch it, it, like, develops into something else. Like, when I first saw it, I wanted to see it. And it was, like, 9 o'clock at night, and I couldn't sleep. And I was like, I wonder if Hereditary is playing somewhere. So, like, I just kind of got up, caught, like, the last showing of it at Broad. It's a long-ass
1: movie to go to in the middle of (laughs) the night, On a work night.
2: Jesus. So, I watched it, and it was me and one other person in the theater. So, it was kind of like I had a theater to myself. And I was crying like a baby. It got, like, it was so emotional. Like, it had... Me reflecting on like times of like grieving and like dealing with family issues and how like grief just rips a family apart and no one knows how to deal with it and what's the right way of dealing with it so like the first time i watched it i saw this sort of um family drama like i didn't really look at it as so much of a horror movie but as like you know just a movie about family issues and families falling apart and the second time i watched it it felt like this is a horror movie and then it just kept getting like better and better as i watched it and there's so many tiny fucking details within this movie
1: yeah there's a lot of like just characters lurking in the sides of the frame and people in the shadows and details you might not see the first time
2: exactly like you at least have to see this movie twice to like catch everything or most of everything but, um, well, Hereditary, kind of what it's about. It's about this woman named Annie, who is a miniature artist. And I love, I love miniatures. And the miniature art in this movie was so fantastic. And the opening scene is in one of the miniature homes that she has created. And then it turns into like a real scene. And I love that so much. I thought it was just so fucking cool. Well, her mother passes away and she has like a rocky relationship with her mother And like this happens immediately. Like the beginning of the movie is the family going to her funeral. And then there's a lot of like family issues that start to unravel throughout the film. And it's kind of like we get these like little clues and throughout the entire film. And then at the end, like everything kind of gets answered. Not so much. Like there's still a lot of unanswered questions, but everything makes sense a little more once you get to the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so fucking good, and the it pisses me off so much, and I think, like, I've never felt as aggressive with defending a movie that when people say that it's, like, a cheap knockoff of fucking Rosemary's Baby, what? because it isn't, I will fight you. I mean,
1: it's a 70s throwback horror vibe. Right. Uh, and there's a few movies i would put in that category but i think rosemary's baby is like it's, a very specific kind of story and a
2: lot of people compared it to that and i'm like i could kind of see how it's like it deals with something satan- like evil yeah the
3: satanic cult and like aspect. a family
2: involved but it's not really so much satan which i thought was really cool like a lot of horror movies they go towards like oh they're worshiping satan they're worshiping satan satan but this has something to do with satan it has to do with payment who is a demon and one of the like I think prote- like One of protectors the kings of, of hell. the kings of hell.
1: Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs>
2: Fucking. You haven't
3: been there? You haven't met it. I mean,
1: I went to years and years of Catholic school more than I cared to. And uh, I do not remember the kings him. of hell. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> learn about you either. missed that class. Yeah.
2: God, if Catholic school does like kings of hell classes, like, yeah, it sounds totally like a biker go.
1: gang more than like a real thing.
2: <laughs> the payment guys. But this movie is about like payment and um, a cult that worships payment. And it's so true to the lore that it's so it's just fantastic. Like the director, shit, and I keep forgetting his name, but it's very interesting. Uh, Ari Aster has a good flow to it. Well, he like studied demonology and he really got it together. Like there's a symbol that appears multiple times throughout this film. And it's the symbol for payment. Like everything is like spot on on like, how real all of this is. So I thought that was pretty cool.
1: And it's also like the best Tony Collette showcase in a movie since Muriel's wedding, I would say. Totally. I mean, United States of Terror is a great TV show that she was on, but But as far as like a movie goes, yeah, a
2: hundred percent like her, there's a scene that like literally like, I mean, I've seen it a bajillion times, but it still makes me like kind of shake a little bit is when they're at the dinner table and everyone's like in this weird, grief and they're all dealing with it in a different way and she gets up and just is like i am your mother and yeah. fucking gets at it and it's just like fucking it's awesome Her there's performance a lot of like familial
1: in awesome. resentment in this film the same way that there's mom and dad but yeah. it's, it's a lot more like <laughs> seriously handled i mean there's some melodrama to it but it's very yeah. much like not played for laughs. Like, she says some really fucked up things to her kids that mothers <laughs> should never say. Right.
2: It's, like, real. It feels real. Like, you know, because it's kind of like not everybody's like, oh, I love my children and I'm such a happy mother. Like, sometimes people have kids and they don't really want them and they end up keeping them.
3: <laughs> because- yeah, one thing I noticed, I talked about this movie with quite a few people and I noticed how everyone kind of brought their own family shit to mm-hmm. it. Like, I talked to one friend and he was like, to him it was like about addiction like yeah addiction runs in my family you know Mm -hmm. and that shit that's not my fault I got passed down from your mom or your you know your dad whoever and then other people like they're dealing with depression and all this stuff is like genetic hereditary and it's like that was my big takeaway the horror of the film is the horror of getting passed down stuff that you never asked for Mm -hmm. so you're dealing with like emotional, psychological or addiction issues. And it's like, you didn't ask to be born into this world. These other people like brought you in and now you have to deal with your family curse, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's like the true horror of the movie, I think. And kind of the horror of like,
1: being alive,
3: honestly. <laughs> right. Cause like, you get a know lot what, of stuff you didn't ask for. Yeah, you didn't ask for any of it, and you're like half your mom, half your dad. There's all
1: these people you have to deal with just because you happen to be related to them, no matter yeah, how good of a person they <laughs> are or what they in do. General, I mean, yeah. friends
3: are great because you choose your friends, and right. if they suck, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Right. But family, it's kind of a negative view of it, but it is kind of like a curse. It's a burden. It's a burden, and it's oh, something totally. that's like bestowed upon you that you never asked for.
1: And even if you like a couple members of your family, they're kind of a package deal. It's hard to, like, cut out (laughs) all of them except for one. Yeah, the
3: whole thing. It's pretty gross. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's kind of, like, um, how I felt with it. Because, like, we, I've lost, like, family members. And then I just, like, watch our family just, like, fucking tear each other apart until, like, no one fucking talks to each other anymore. Mm -hmm. So the whole hereditary thing was, like, really reflective of, like, how, like, nobody could sort of handle their grief after these like prominent people in our family passed away. And they just ended up like losing it.
1: I, yeah. I struggled a little bit with this one. The, the couple times I've watched it because the first hour has no score. Really? There's a lot of like quiet scenes. And then once that familial resentment starts building up, there's more and more of this like atmospheric score,
2: which is really good music.
1: And, it, and the music is great. <laughs> it's and so then good. it ends at its loudest. Like the music, like at the end is like deafening. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm just like a bad movie watcher or whatever, but without the music, like I had a hard time like <laughs> latching on to the atmosphere of it. But mm-hmm. I feel like the atmosphere really builds, and then by the time it ends, uh, it's kind of like the end of The Witch, where it's just like this really lyrical, like yeah, uh, like a it's crescendo, really yeah, crescendo, comparable a good word to The for
2: Witch, it. I think. Like for like horror movie wise, like I think I would like. Put it in whatever the fuck genre the witch is in, and
1: uh, the the genre the colloquial term is a twenty four horror because they just have to be yes. the studio that puts all the shit out. <laughs> uh, they're great, yeah. But yeah, I I think it just requires a little more patience than I have just to wait for that to build up. uh But once it gets there, and once that like mm-hmm. you know once Tony Collette starts like saying all these things that she has bottled up and <laughs> these like horrible yeah. Confessions start pouring out of her mouth. Like I get really hooked into the movie, and I feel like it's even one that, having seen it twice, I do need to see it more. Like it's it's one of the more like I don't want to say frustrating, but one of the more like puzzling experiences of the year. But it's in a rewarding way. Like I, I really yeah. enjoy it every time I see it. I'm just yeah. I don't feel like I fully get a grasp of it.
2: I don't think you're supposed to until like. It took it took a lot for me to, like, understand everything that was going on where I'm like, you know, like, why is... So Charlie is the daughter. She's 13 years old, and she makes this weird, like, nervous tick. And it's like, where is this coming from? They never talk about it. But then you kind of figure out where it comes from. Like, little things like that, like, they don't start to make sense until, like, you really, really...
1: It's hard not to hear Alyssa Edwards when she does it, which kind of cuts the horror <laughs> yeah. down a little bit. It's that little 13-year-old drag, drag queen. Drag race, tongue
0: pop, yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was going to mention, like, because you were talking about grief... And that there's a scene in there where after the character dies, mm-hmm. and mom goes out to the car. Oh yeah, that, that's I, I've thought about that scene a lot since, this, and how I think other filmmakers might want to shoot it in a different way, but by keeping the camera just on the sun and the dread of hearing his mom walk outside, right? Hear the car door or open. Hear her scream, and you're just seeing him laying in bed. Yeah, that scene like affected me so much because, like, haunting. Yeah, because that's like what dread and fear,
1: and it's looks believable like. teenage behavior that he would just ignore the consequences well, and hope that it would get better. And time. just laying
3: in bed, knowing that yeah. shit's about to hit the fan. I understood and, him God. so
2: much, where it's like. This scene where this terrible thing happens, the camera just focuses in on him and you can tell he's in this like state of shock. Yeah, it's like a catatonic state. Where he's like, state. what the fuck do I do? Like, I don't even think he thought about that and he just like... And I'm like, well, I mean, it looks weird because like some people in the... You know, when I watched it with other people they were like oh he's evil and i'm like no i mean like what do you do it's
3: shock it's (laughs) not knowing what to do
2: you just don't know what to do in that situation and if
1: you watch the deleted scenes on the dvd a Mm -hmm. lot of them are just him by himself yeah and it just becomes clear like the real like narrative thrust of the film is his relationship with his mother it is yeah uh so yeah i I think i think even knowing that a third watch might open up the movie a little more to me as well oh, totally but you know on a basic level it just delivers a lot of good scares and a lot of good creepy and
2: it's so like that know, house supernatural. is natural gorgeous and yeah. like being in the woods and the scenes are long which i like like they're not like choppy and it doesn't go from one thing to the other they just kind of like slowly like pan out Mm -hmm. and it will last like forever and i like i love that a lot because there's always like so much going on and that's how you like kind of miss things and it's kind of exciting because you can go back and find them
3: yeah and that 824 style seems Mm -hmm. more about dread than about jump scares or something like the witch is filled with dread and this in the same way like everything the walls are just dripping with despair and that's yeah those that's olive like, green
2: walls are so sad <laughs> yeah and that that's like But it, you, there's some jump fucking cool scares I would say yeah this one has more
3: traditional sure.
1: scares mixed in with that stuff but yeah the atmosphere is like the commanding vibe yeah. which is what I was yeah. feeling was missing in the first hour but it builds in it's such all a great setup. way yeah. it's so weird
2: yeah. to watch it like in a the theater setting like there's more to notice and things to take note of but like as I've watched it like with friends and stuff on like a television it's so quiet in the beginning and then it's there's things where i'm like oh don't forget that and then they're like what are you talking about and i'm like god like you didn't (laughs) see that like it's there's so many tiny details that it's really hard and it's dark yeah and it's hard to see a lot of things and like you said like it's so quiet but then as like it gets louder it's like one of those like movies you watch where like you have it on like, you know, 65 or some shit on your TV and you're like, it's so like low. And then when it gets loud, it's like, oh my God, the neighbors are going to wake up. I have to lower it. Um, but yeah. So definitely my favorite movie of 2018. Probably one of my favorite movies of all time. So good. Tony Collette, bomb.com. I just like reversed her name and it was weird. Um, but what's your number one, Brandon? So my top five were Sorry to Bother
1: You. Dirty computer, Mandy, double lover, and then the Wild Boys. <laughs> Woo! I, kn- I knew it. Dude. Uh, I knew it. What a gorgeous. Knew
3: that was so up your piece of smite.
0: Uh, <laughs> A lot of smite on your top As, as five. y'all
3: were talking about it earlier, I was just saying I was like, this is gonna be Brandon's number one. The way they're describing it, like. This has gotta be the number one. Yeah, this dirty old man over here. It's just this,
1: yeah, ancient (laughs) way of viewing gender and sexuality that, in its Uh own way, like tears apart how we look at it now, and like blurs the lines between, like, yeah, just gender. Like, it just breaks down gender boundaries in this way that's both brutal and like unflinching in this like way that's hard to watch, but also just this gorgeous horned up like. (laughs) Uh, overindulgence in, like, sensual pleasure. <laughs> if you have any, you know, inclination to those, like, Guy Madden-style, like, films that look like they were made in the silent era, uh, this movie has that same sort of, like, silent film era cinematography, but it's also this really lush, just overflowing with, like, natural imagery, like, paradise. And it's also a bunch of, like, horny boys acting
3: as girls It's adult women
1: playing young boys. uh, And they're acting wild. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, it it really just tears down a lot of like rigid gender and sexuality like boundaries um, Mm -hmm. in a way that feels new, even though the story you're watching on screen is so old fashioned. uh, And it's such a weird uh, mental disconnect between those two different parts of your brain. It really, it's hard to like get a full grasp on it. It's both fun and miserable. It's both like sexy and disgusting. Uh, you know, it's it's really great.
3: That description reminds me of a film that was, I think, in both of our top ten last year, We Are the Flesh. Loved it. Yep. Is, is it kind of... Yep. The way you're describing it is sort of th- that, which I actually... And The, uh, the Untamed movie.
1: was another one I really loved last Untamed, year. Okay, uh, yeah. yeah, it's another, like... I think it's an interesting way to make someone uncomfortable. I think Double Lover mm-hmm. does this as well. We're like... Tapping into your sexual id and, like, playing around with things that might make you horny and then turning that (laughs) into a fucking nightmare and making you feel disgusting for it. I think that works really well. I I know we mentioned De Palma a lot today. I feel like he does that. Uh, Cronenberg's another one yeah. uh, where it's, like, honest about human eroticism, but also, like... Willing to turn that into a nightmare of discomfort and disgust and also like a fun time because it's, you know, a smutty piece of pretentious French art.
3: Yeah, that seems like the kind of, I don't know, the double-edged sword is like you have these sexual desires and you can't really help your desires. But then you're kind of a prisoner to them. And then if that becomes like nightmarish in some way, it's like you're driven towards
1: death. Yeah. Essentially... And the Untamed was a good version of that too, because in that one, the horror is that like you know this monster's gonna kill you, but you're sexually attracted to it anyway, and there's like no way to escape that. Um, yeah. There's another great movie I really like with a lot of explicit sex in it called Stranger by the Lake, uh, oh, which is
3: yeah, about like I've cruising. Seen
1: that. Yeah, uh, and that one has the same kind of vibe.
3: Like you know, like this is bad. It's going to kill you. me. It's going to kill stop me and I'm because I'm a human keep being. Doing it, yeah. Uh yeah, Possession the Wild Boys I think another one that would totally, go to that. Totally. Yeah. Uh
1: but yeah, The Wild Boys, uh you will have seen no other film like it. Uh that's <laughs> that's my promise. It's like it's such a beautiful, surreal nightmare. Uh, like to describe it logically or to the say that it's saying something <laughs> clear. Kind of like We Are the Flesh. Like there's just something really weird and off-putting about it. It really tips into um like textbook surrealism in a way few films do like a lot of films can have surreal imagery, but as far as like actually breaking down meaning and like breaking Mm -hmm. down, like logical understandings of the stories you're watching, like few films can achieve that. I feel like in modern times and those two do it. Uh, Yeah. It's really good. Uh, well, I mean, we had a few films with overlap today. Uh, the two bears, uh, Paddington 2 and Annihilation, <laughs> which had a really cute bear in it too, uh, those were overlaps, but by far, Mandy was our, like, number one recommendation as a for group. Sure. Then, for yeah. sure. For uh, sure. I don't know if that's going to pan out across the rest of the website crew, but as far as like a podcast, uh, Mandy is the film. We definitely want you to watch this year and watch wild boys. Cause it's fucking weird. <laughs> watch <laughs> all of them. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. yeah so I mean, many, you don't have any there's t- so many good movies. Yeah. This if you year. had time to listen to this like three and a half hour conversation, you care about movies
0: enough. <laughs> yeah. You should check out some of the ones on the list.
1: And uh, we'll come back in a couple weeks with some honorable mentions uh, so that you can, you know, add even more movies to that impossible list of things to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye.